0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
1: Top of the morning to you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your coach, Dr. Matt, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the ideas, the, just what you need to be able to go create a great life for you and your family. And good morning. Hey, uh, great, uh, great game last night. Holy cow, I like, I likey, I like likey. The Warriors win the NBA championship game. How cool is that? And in all honesty, uh, could LeBron James work any harder? The Dude was carrying the team, and then eventually and said they eventually just ran out of talent. A lot of people frustrated by that that statement, but you know what it is what it is. It just happened it's a great game. I loved it uh, by the way, also had a really cool uh experience yesterday, and it wasn't watching Jeb Bush slow jam the news. Holy Hannah, why are we Why are our politicians feeling a need to get on late night television to slow jam? That was awkward, I thought, for me. And uh, Donald Trump, he's he's in. He's in. And it, when you think about that, folks, is that is that just a, a big sigh of relief for you? I mean, some people think this is going to upset the entire, entire apple cart. Now everyone's going to be laughing even more at what they were calling the clown car of the Republican nomination. Um, anyway, I think it's really interesting. He's such a straight shooter, but, you know. I I don't know how to differentiate our politics anymore. I've got Jeb Bush, who's the leader, uh, like by name recognition, at least. And uh, he's slow jamming the news. And then I have Donald Trump, who is, you know, going to fire people. This is what's happening to our political world. Anyway, interesting, interesting stuff. I had a a great uh, uh, blessing, a benefit. Um, Just one of our listeners that... I got to meet yesterday from Ohio drops by. Uh, Just wanted to do a little shout out for him. Um, Jim Deegan's his name. He's the president of Nationwide Children's Hospital. And uh, he just heard our show, found our show, and loves it, listens to it. It's changing his life. So if you're out there, come drop by. Come to Utah. We'll show you a good time. We'll take you on a tour of BYU Broadcasting. Come on. Get on over here. Anyway, congratulations uh, again to the Warriors, and um, life is good. Life is really good. Let's now go to Kathy Aiken and find out what's happening in the national headlines.
2: Tropical Storm Bill is moving further inland as Texans brace for more heavy rain and possible flooding today. The center of the storm is expected to move northward, dropping up to 5 inches of rain in the state, still cleaning up from flooding. The left 14 dead over the Memorial Day weekend. The hunt for two escaped killers from a New York prison has expanded. Officials had been searching for the men in and around a 16-mile perimeter. Well, now posters of the two will be handed out at border crossings into Canada and Mexico. Officials now believe multiple people may have helped the two escape. Meanwhile, the cost for the search is reportedly $1 million every day. Donald Trump made it official yesterday
0: in New York. Ladies and gentlemen... I am officially running for president of the United States, and we are going to make
2: our country great again. The 69-year-old Trump is the 12th GOP candidate so far in the field. During his speech yesterday, Trump said he's using his own money to run. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker is expected to enter the race sometime in July. Special force officers in Tbilisi, Georgia, killed a white lion cub after the animal killed a man, helping in the cleanup after massive flooding. The lion, which escaped from the zoo along with hundreds of other animals due to the flood, was shot by police. All of the missing animals have been found or are presumed dead. The death toll from the balcony collapse in an apartment building in Berkeley, California, yesterday has risen to six. Thirteen people were on the balcony when it collapsed. The other seven people were seriously injured. After a 40 year wait, the Golden State Warriors are NBA champs.
0: To be able to sit here six years later from a rookie year and, and hold this trophy, this is an unbelievable experience. Love every single one of my teammates, you know, sacrificed, put in the work, the time for us to be able to enjoy this.
2: That was Steph Curry after the win last night. The Warriors beat Cleveland 105-96, winning the title in six games. Curry and Andre Iguodala scored 25 apiece for the Warriors. LeBron James fell one assist short of another triple-double. He just couldn't do it all. Iguodala was named MVP. He was the first player named MVP of the finals who didn't start a single game in the regular season. In Women's World Cup action yesterday, the U.S. defeated Nigeria one 0 thanks to a late first-half goal by Abby Wambach. Her 14th World Cup goal in her career, the win gave the U.S. a first place finish in its group. And Matt, a new Netflix poll reveals that 85% of dads, yes. which you are, think it's very important to share their favorite childhood cartoons with their own oh, kids. Did you do that?
1: Yeah.
2: Now, I, I never did. Didn't you?
1: Well, did I? Mine were just naturally watching a lot. I mean, those are all these cartoons are coming back. They're coming back. They're hip.
2: I tried to get my kids to watch like the Brady Bunch. Uh-huh, and yeah, Gilligan's Island. Yeah, that, Hogan's did, that Heroes. didn't.
1: That did too well. I my kids love Hogan's Heroes. We went on a that trip to fun. California. Spent the entire time watching Hogan's Heroes.
2: Well, give me the two top cartoons that the men apparently show their children?
1: Uh, there, there would probably, it would have to be like a superhero mm-hmm. kind Very of cartoon. So, so like a Superman, Batman, Spider-Man.
2: Spider-Man. So Spider-Man.
1: Uh, the second one would obviously be Caillou. No, just kidding. No. Um, the second one would probably <laughs> be uh, Scooby-Doo.
2: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Really? Yeah.
1: See, I'm older than that generation. Yeah. But a lot of these youngins around here bring up Power Rangers and and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. What what was your favorite cartoon?
2: Oh, you know, I love Scooby-Doo. He was my favorite. I loved Scooby-Doo. Because there was
1: a little romance. There was always a little romance between... The the two I don't even know their names but and then there was the awkward gawky people and then there's kind of the nerd
2: and the dog and the dog that yeah talks. the dog was the
0: best
1: yeah.
2: okay but seventy six percent they share these with their kids because of the valuable life lessons they teach what uh, I don't know what did the me- teenage mutant ninja turtles teach I don't, uh, I don't know
1: I think that's just a bunch of bull. They just want to like reconnect exactly. and like, this is, this is what dad used to love. Right. Yep.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Made them feel like kids again themselves, right? That's why we do it.
1: I, I think that's exactly what we do. We don't get. want to grow up. But – And it's also favorite TV shows. Do you have favorite TV shows uh, or like Chips? Do you remember the I remember police chips. show Chips? Yeah. Do you remember One Adam 12? That was a police show.
2: One Adam No, never watched was, that. That was one. a cop no. show. Do you remember no.
1: Emergency? Emergency. Which was, uh, and then do you remember. Um, Dr. Welby, this this, this ages me. Dr. I'm Welby 46. MD, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, Dr. Welby, you know, MD. Dr. Welby,
2: MD. Yeah. No, I liked you know Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley. Yes, yes. That goes way back, doesn't it? The That's Fonz.
1: Scary. Yeah. I just met a guy named Alfonso.
2: Alfonso, did he go by Fonz?
1: Uh, I didn't dare call. You did him dare that. call that.
2: Didn't have the leather <laughs> like. Are jacket you the Fonz?
1: <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Well, that's cool. Uh, good job, dads. Thanks, and good job, Kathy. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Hey, um, got a great show coming up. Uh, three hours, right? The show's three hours, and if you can't get all three hours, go download the podcast because you're not going to want to miss it today. We will be talking about political myths that need to be debunked, and the reality is there's some interesting research that Dr. Adam Barinsky will be sharing with us about how myths stay uh, in our psyche and how we can't shake off certain political myths. For example, do you believe the old myth that George W. Bush has the lowest I.Q. of all the presidents? Ben does. Ben's like, "Oh yeah, for sure." for sure. Uh, guess what? Well, the reality is that that was a, a rumor that was a report, supposedly, by the Lovenstein Institute that came out in 2001, and it found that George W. Bush had the lowest IQ of any president in the past 50 years. The report was discovered on a website, Loven, org. The problem is there is no Lovenstein Institute and there is no report. But if you actually believed it and have actually even pass that rumor on, you're part of the problem. And today we're going to be talking about how we debunk these myths. How about this one? Do you believe, um, this was a big one, that President Obama really isn't an American citizen? He's just not. He's not. I mean, that's, he's not. But CNN has investigated these claims by the birthers who say that the nation's 44th president was not born in America and thus not eligible to be president, and uh, the Obama team and state of Hawaii released a certification of live birth that, the documents, that documents the president's birth on August 4th, 1961 in
3: Honolulu. Well, yeah, but I mean, did you see the birth certificate? So there
1: goes the myth. We're going to be blowing up uh, – not blowing them up really, but showing you why psychologically you're so prone to believe a myth. How about this one? Have you ever heard this one? Do you believe that women use more words in a day than men? Do women speak more words? Well, forever, we've heard the study that says women use 21,000 words a day, men use 7,000. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Sad truth, however, uh, the research shows that men and women use virtually the exact same amount of words. We use them a little differently. We use them at different times. We might use them in different ways. But we use virtually the, the exact same amount of words. In fact, in the study... Uh, the study shows that uh, women, men actually ended up being in the study, the, the person that used the most words happened to be a man and the person that used the least words happened to be a man. We're, we're very much the same, except you might believe women use 21,000 words and a men use about a third of those words, that amount of words. They're all myths, folks. And today we'll be talking about psychologically why you might choose to believe a myth even if it's been debunked and proven wrong. We're going to get into that. Also, a little bit later in hour number two, we'll be talking about Dove, uh, um, the the soap company, right? Dove soap and uh, self esteem project. Got a great uh, topic there where we're going to be getting into with Megan Ramsey. She did a TED talk on young young women's self esteem and why it, you know it could be reaching some seriously uh, scary levels and why we need to focus a little bit more on self-esteem. Also in the third hour, we'll be talking about how your marital problems may be hurting your children. Do you believe your marital stress actually impacts your kids and how much? And what are some ways around it? We will be getting into some great research by Dr. Brian Willoughby here from Brigham Young University to talk about that. Folks, this is the Matt Townsend Show. We can't help you if you're not here. So stick with us. We'll be right back debunking the myths in the political world up next right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, here's here's a little gut check for you. Do do you do you believe the stories about climate change on either side of the argument? Have you ever heard that it's just a big lie conjured up by scientists, and they've always been wrong? Have you do you, do you buy the myth that uh, genetically modified foods are slowly warping and changing and breaking humans, weakening us. It's the government's plot to, do you buy that? Do you believe half of what you hear in these political races? There's a lot of myths that go out there and and are out there that, that I guess need to be debunked. But did you know that even in the debunking, you may actually just be solidifying the myth. And so some might even choose not to try to debunk certain things because you're only going to give it more energy or more play. We we wanted to, especially as we're getting into this political season where, you know, now you have Donald Trump in there who, who really is a straight shooter in a way, even if he's just throwing a lot of myths out there. He's going to say stuff like it is, and you might believe him just because he believes himself. We wanted to go to the pros that could help us with this. Dr. Adam Berinsky is joining us, and uh, he is a professor of political science at MIT and is the author of the book um, Silent Voices, Public Opinion and P- Political Participation in America. He also wrote a book in 2009 called Time of War, Understanding Public Opinion from World War II, and has uh, just recently completed a study called Rumors, Truths and Reality, a Study of Political Misinformation. He's here today to help us understand a little bit better about the, about the myths that take place in our political world, and just in life in general, and, uh, and some of the research he's found out about that. Dr. Barinsky, welcome to the program. Great. Thanks for having me. So good to have you. And uh, help us with this. So, I mean, it seems like myths are going to be inevitable. Is there really—what's the big deal with them? Why, why, if it's a myth and it's debunked, why, hasn't it, why doesn't it just go away?
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it is just how people think about uh, things like political rumors, urban legends. Um, there's sort of a, a whole class of things that are really the same thing. So even if you tell people it's not true, um, it's very hard for them to, to, to continue to believe that it's not true, uh, even if you present them facts. So mm. you can think about lots of examples. I thought history, you know, things recently, Obama's birth certificate yeah. – um, he released a birth certificate. Uh, critics were not happy with that. He <laughs> released the long-form birth certificate. Um, you know, in the short term, it had the effect of reducing the number of people who thought that he wasn't a citizen. But then over time, it bounced back. And you can see this you know, going back to the JFK assassination. Yeah. Uh, all throughout American history, um, you've seen that kind of that these – Rumors and myths circulate and are very hard to debunk.
1: Now, now you actually went in, you performed a study mm-hmm. about political myths. What what was your reasoning? What what was your intent with the study? What were you trying to figure out?
4: Now, just see, so, you know, I'm a political scientist. I'm interested in studying how... You know, citizens interact with government. And if citizens don't trust the government, that's gonna be a big problem for political communication. You, bet. you know, regardless if you're a Democrat or a Republican. So I mean I think everyone can agree it's good for people to have the right facts in their head. And there's a solid bunch of research that showed it is very difficult to get people to give up myths, so I thought I would take a crack mm. at
1: it as well. Teach us about your study. What did you I mean, to me it's it's actually pretty interesting some of the outcomes? And even how you could debunk a myth, or or it depends on really who's saying what, what affiliation they have. Talk to us about what you learned. Sure.
4: So I was studying, you know, I've done a whole bunch of different studies looking at myths on both the right and the left. Yeah. So, you know, thinking... Uh, you know, a lot of Obama's engendered a lot of, of rumors about his citizenship. I was looking particularly at death panels, but I should say I've also looked at you know, truthers about 9-11, hmm. uh, people who think that Bush stole the 2004 presidential election through vote fraud in Ohio. So, you know, there's, there's people across the spectrum. And this one study I was looking at death panels um, and, you know, that there's a provision in the affordable care act that says that people should have end of life counseling uh now the interesting thing about this is that it was written by both a democrat and a republican Mm. so there's bipartisan support for this provision so you know setting aside all the debate we have about obamacare the health plan but this particular provision is supported by both democrats and republicans in the senate um, but you know, the myth has started circulating that there's going to be a government panel that's going to decide who gets to live and who gets that's to That's right. I remember to- that. So you know, clearly this is – you know if people believe this, it's going to be very hard for them to interact with government. right So it's kind of, this is a great example of something that can really hurt democracy. And so what I thought is thinking, is there something I can do to make it better? Um, so let me say very quickly, the short answer is uh, I can do a little bit. Uh, but in general, myself, like other scholars, I think we can make things worse, but we can't really make them better. So no, interesting. So what I mean by that yeah. is that it's very hard to get people to give up the myth. But in this particular case, I took advantage of the fact that there were Republicans who helped write these end-of-life provisions. And so I would say, you know, maybe you've heard this rumor, um, you know, have – it was a a, a – it looked like a newspaper article where I'm presenting facts and all the facts in there were real. Some people got no correction, so they're just told the the myth. Yeah. Other people were given a correction by a Democrat and others by a Republican, right? So again these two people who craft the provision. Right. And what I found is that if it was the Democrat, um no, there was some you know, people were willing to some extent to give up the, the the myth, the but belief, what really helped yeah. was a Republican, right? So if you have someone who's countering their interest, who's basically saying, look, this is crazy, right? Here's what ah. it actually says. People are more likely to reject that death panel myth. And I should say this is true not just for Republicans. So it's not just a case of people following their own party. It was the most effective correction among Democrats as well. Right? So you can think about, like, if McDonald says... French fries are unhealthy. People are going to believe that, if sure. they know that that's against their interest. So in this case, you know, it goes against the political interest of the Republican Party to have someone correct it,
1: uh, and that's what makes it so effective. So right? people trust that. I guess they see that as more credible, more honest. It, exactly. Right. Interesting. And, and, right. So it would, the with, and the inverse would be true, right? So if a Democrat was was going against their interest um like like i think it was uh john mccain when he finally said of course president obama's got a birth certificate that was mm-hmm. to his advantage to say that
4: exactly okay right. and so you know it's that that kind of going against us you can see this with the, the birther controversy so you mentioned donald trump yeah yeah and here's someone who's been bringing it up <laughs> again and again but not all republicans are doing this you know some republican politicians think it's distracting to talk about this and sure. so if you can have a republican say look this is crazy, we shouldn't be talking about this, because clearly he's a citizen, then right. I think that that can be effective. Um, but, you know, sort of talk briefly about, you know, I said that I can make things worse, it's very hard to make it better. Um, so I found that this worked in the short term, if I asked them right away, but I went back to these same people a couple of weeks later, and I found that a lot of the effect of that correction, of having this Republican say, oh, this is crazy, a lot of that effect went away within two weeks.
1: Oh, wow. We want, it's like we are We want the myth. We want that belief, don't we?
4: Yeah, and I think it's also that it, there's partially, psychologists have found that if, if something feels familiar, if it's something you've heard before, uh-huh. that you're more likely to think it's true, right? Okay. Because you think to yourself, like, oh, okay, right. Is, is there a death penalty? I've heard something about yeah. that. Can't remember what it was. That's true. And you can see this also with Obama's birth certificate. So one of my favorite stories to tell is that you remember in April of 2011 Obama finally said look here's the birth certificate yeah you no, enough enough <laughs> released it uh and the percentage of people who thought that he was not a citizen right so people who reject who believe this birth or myth went down and so there were a lot of stories that said oh great you know this solves the problem yeah finally and you know yeah truth will prevail uh, exactly well in the short term <laughs> yeah, right sure. and so it. No one did any polling on the question of birthers for about six months. And I thought, well, why don't I just pause doing a poll? I said, well, let me put a question on there. And what I found is six months later, about half of the people who had said, uh, you know, sort of gave it up, you know, started believing it again. So oh, that my heavens. was big in the short term. And a year later, the effect was completely gone. We were back where <laughs> we were before the birth certificate. So is it, yeah, because like the press, yeah. Forget.
1: That's interesting. That press moment had kind of passed like a wave. It just kind of rolled over and we're back to to where we are.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. No, it's just that, that rumors are very sticky. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just it's really hard to correct them. So there's a bunch of political scientists and psychologists working on this. And I love everyone's them. trying to find that magic bullet. And no one no it, one really can. The, there is the an ability works. Yeah. Work. yeah. Well,
1: th- th- this is great stuff. We're talking with Dr. Adam barinsky He's a professor of political science at MIT He's teaching us about uh, why we are so willing to just believe the myth. Even if it's been, you know, disproven, we still go back to it. We're going to take a break, come back and, and uh, learn a lot more here from Dr. Adam Berinsky. Again, author of the book In Time of War, Understanding Public Opinion from World War II to Iraq. And, uh, and also the author of a recent study... Rumors, Truths, and Reality, a study of political misinformation. We'll have more right here, up next, after this break. To the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are uh, trying to understand about political rumors and myths. Why would you be willing to believe a rumor or a myth that has been disproven or debunked? Why would you do that? Just get to the truth. It's not an interesting thing. It's such a tangled web, and so we've asked Dr. Adam Barinsky to join us. He's a professor of political science at MIT. And uh, he is the author of a study called Rumors, Truths, and Reality, a Study of Political Misinformation that was set to be published in the British Journal of Political Science. And uh, he's here today just teaching us how sticky it is, how sticky these rumors are. And even when they are debunked, we tend to kind of just retract back, I guess, almost like a rubber band. We stretch it out, but it's probably going to make its way back to its original position. Dr. Adam Berinsky, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Great. Thank you. Great to have you here. Um, in your studies of the myths, you were telling us that even, even once it's disproven, we tend to, like the birther uh, discussion with President Obama, we tend to, do, do we come back to the exact same space? I mean, I guess, statistically, where the same amount of people still not believing in uh, President Obama's birth certificate being real and legit...
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so i mentioned you know he released his birth certificate in the spring of 2011. Uh, six months later, you know, after he released it, you know, half that initial effect of of the kind of we can think of it as the learning, right? People who reject the rumor went right. away, and with a year, it was back where we were when we started, and has stayed at that point ever since.
1: Hmm. Does it then? Then really, it may not matter. It's not maybe even about persuasion. Are there just certain people that are going to just stick where they are?
4: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think, you know, people kind of move around. So, you know, one thing I've done in my work is I take a look at rumors across the political spectrum, right? Things that Democrats don't believe, things that Republicans believe. And if you look at opinion polls, you can see, you know, 20 percent of people think Obama's not a citizen. 20 percent think that 9-11 was an inside job. Right. Uh, 20% of people think that the, the earth does not revolve around the sun. You know, so lots of things that, that we know to be true and to think, well, is it it just that 20% of these people in this country are, you know, crazy or stupid or just, or just can't be, don't get it. Right. And what's interesting is that, you know, these are different people, right? So if I look, you know, if I look across all these different kind of crazy beliefs, um, I find that it is different people. So what I like to say it's not that there's some people who believe a lot of crazy things. There's a lot of people who believe a some little. crazy things. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, so, you know, it's hard to say, you know, so you can't just say like, oh, this is something that's just a segment of the population, so we shouldn't worry about it. Um, you know, it's troubling that in, in this country, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's
1: out there uh, that people, people tend to believe. And it's, I mean, maybe this is nature's way of balancing. You know, maybe you need, a, a, in every scoop, you need a healthy dose of both sides. Those that are believing in a lot and believe everything, or not everything, but believe in this situation, and those that don't. I don't know. Maybe There's got to be something to it if it's fairly consistently about 20%.
4: Yeah, I know. You know, I think if I poke long enough, you know, I can see as if you talk to your friends. You poke long enough, you know, you'll find something that they believe that you think like mm, that's really that's kind of crazy. It's true, um, and I think it's uh, it's it's true. But I think that's an important thing to note that it's that it's really it's it's pervasive. It's there's lots of stories out there, and you know the, you can find someone who's going to believe just about anything. Oh, it's not the same person.
1: That's true. I mean, I believed until I was about forty five that if I didn't wear socks, I'd catch a cold, because mm-hmm. my mom and grandma used to tell me that. Forget virus yeah. theories and germ, and germ theories. but
4: Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of the, you know, we might call them old wives' tales yeah. or urban legend. You know, it's all part of the same thing, these kinds of things that spread over time. You know, I remember, you know, I've got a son now who's in fourth grade, and he's telling me stories that sound very much like the stories that, I told you know my friends in fourth grade. Yeah. You know McDonald's hamburgers have worms, and yeah. <laughs> now he says it's Chipotle burritos have worms. You know, so passing changed, it around, but the stories remain the same.
1: So you really don't see, for example, you don't see more myths bought by the Republicans than the Democrats. They buy yeah, the think, myth equally. Uh, well, I mean, it depends. depends on, the, on the, the myth.
4: I think right now there's there's more out there, but I think it's because Obama's in power. You know, so that the Democrats have been in power. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, So there's a a book, a study done by political scientists looking at 100 years uh, and basically letters to the editor of different newspapers. That's a way to track, you know, how these stories changed over time. And uh, the the title of the book is Conspiracy Theories Are for Losers, right? Not losers as in, you know, that guy's a loser, but losers as you know, people who are not winning in politics.
0: They need a conspiracy.
4: And it's a way, you know, it's kind of, you can think of it as a way, Uh, to vent, to blow off some steam, you know, kind of to tell crazy stories about people that you don't like. Uh, So to the extent that we see that today, I think it's because, you know, that we have a Democratic president. So it'd be interesting to see what happens, you know, if we get a Republican president in 2016, you know, is that balance going to switch?
1: Interesting. Um,
4: because, you know, some people say, like, oh, the Republicans, you know, there's, there's something about Republicans that they'll believe these crazy stories. Um, now, I think that the one piece of truth to that, though, is thinking about how Republican politicians have talked about these rumors, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got someone like Donald Trump who said, oh, you know, he's not a citizen. <laughs> yeah, um, That's one extreme. You know, the other extreme is you just – people who say, are like, oh, this, this story is completely crazy. But you've got people in the middle who say, like, well – you know, I don't believe this, but everyone's entitled to their own opinion. You can think about that. I call that a soft
1: correction. Right? A soft correction. He's, not, yeah, he's yes. not he's not. going to play the game, but he's not also fighting against it.
4: Exactly. And I think that, that that's been true, that you see more Republican politicians doing that than Democratic politicians today. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe there's something to that. But, you know, again, flip things around. If we've got a Republican Congress or a Republican Senate and a Republican president, you know, I think the Democrats might be oh, yeah. telling stories as well.
1: It's interesting. Um, again, we're talking with Dr. Adam Berinsky from MIT. But Adam, if you were if you were advising a, a presidential candidate, it, I guess it sounds like statistically, it's in their best interest to to debunk uh, myths to kind of fight against them, especially if they're, they're myths that would show that that how, how did you put it that are not in their that would have been in their favor, but they're blowing up a myth that that's to yeah, their well, advantage. The, the
4: tricky thing is finding a way to work. And I said, you know, I think if you can find people who have credibility, so Republicans debunking myths about Democrats. yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, if I were a Democratic politician, I'd be finding those quotes and playing those up. You know, uh-huh. I wouldn't directly say, oh, this is wrong. Because you're not going to convince someone who's not inclined to listen to you. That's the true. trick is find someone who's going to listen to you. And really hone on them. And I think that there's some potential there.
1: Well, this is why people probably have this, such an inherent distrust of this entire system, because there are myths. And and I mean, a lot of say anything, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Senator Reid threw down the gauntlet on uh, Mitt Romney about his taxes. And then we find out years later that it was all a lie or whatever. And it's like, who do we trust? I, I guess. Are you noticing trust is dropping?
4: No, I mean trust has been pretty low in in the United States for a long time, okay. of trust of government. Um, but you know, I mean, you know, one thing I always point out is, you know, Watergate was a conspiracy theory until it turned out to be true. And That's right, true, huh? So
1: you have the data
4: basis in this, yeah. No, so it's, you know, I'm pr- pretty confident the things that I'm talking about, you know, Obama not being a citizen, the death panel. There's things you can point to to say, you know, any kind of there's a reasonable standard of evidence for this to be true. Um, but, you know, the counter can always be, you know, if the people who believe this is saying, well, everyone said that Watergate was crazy until it turned out not to be true. Um, and so, you know, throughout history, you can see these sorts of things. So I think it just it makes it difficult when people are suspicious of government.
1: Yeah. Uh, to engage that. Do you do you sense that over the history of the United States, uh, this has been a fairly constant percentage, this 20 percent kind of idea, or do you sense that it used to be a lot more rumors and myths were much more easily believed when we had less media, when we had whatever?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, I can think it cuts both ways, um, you know, that it's easier to, to spread myths today. So I, remember, I grew up in New York City in the 1970s and 80s, and I remember... There's a, a rumor going around that the CIA had created aids in the laboratory yeah. to destroy the inner city. And I remember, you know, the way that was spread, that there were posters on the sides of construction sites, right? And so that's a pretty low-tech way of doing that. Yeah. Today, you know, I can just click on the Internet. I can find a chat room or I can find a blog where people are talking about it. So, you know, I think it's—it's it's, there's more information debunking, but there's also it's much easier to spread these kind of rumors to a wide audience mm, today. So such... people might not even been aware of the rumor twenty years ago, right? You know, you get to like, oh, that sounds familiar, because you can, you know, whatever rumor you find, you can find a website that's going to list a hundred reasons why it's true.
1: Do, do you do you sense um, the the myth and our believabil- our believing in a myth, is tied to just kind of inherent prejudice as well? Because it seems like. The whole birther thing might be easily believed based just on prejudice.
4: It might be. Uh but you know, I also looked at rumors about uh John Kerry, you know, lying about his service in order to get medals in Vietnam and found, you know, it's thirty percent, twenty percent of people believe that as yeah. well. Um so, you know, I've I've you know, some people have said that Obama's different, you know, because he's he seems foreign, but I think it's at a more basic level, I think it's just about politics.
1: Yeah. Um, did you have you heard any data on the myth that uh, John Kerry actually didn't crash his bike and break his femur?
4: I haven't, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go check that out right now because yeah. I'm sure I can find <laughs> something about it.
1: I'm gonna start one right now. He's actually <laughs> in rehab somewhere. That's kind of how these myths go. How right, interesting. What they say? Right. Well, I I think it's <laughs> fascinating, and and really I I like too that I mean. In the end, we've at least got to evaluate truth, and because if this could just elevate our political discussion five percent, we're all going to mm-hmm. be better off for it. So, yeah, definitely. Well, great job, my friend. Again, Dr. Adam Barinsky, uh, great stuff. Where can they get a hold of your latest research and stuff you're doing, Adam?
4: Uh, Sure. Uh, So I think the British Journal of Political Science is publishing this paper. uh, I also have a a website. So If you just Google Adam Berinsky, it'll pop up and I have some stuff there and hope to have a book
1: on this topic ready in a couple of years. Oh, awesome. We'll have you back again when you get that book out. Excellent. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Adam. Take care and uh, keep up the research. Interesting stuff, isn't it? Why would we continue to believe a myth once it's been disproven? Because maybe truth's not what we're after, right? Maybe we want... We just want the story. The story serves us somehow. Very, very interesting stuff. We're going to take a break, uh, come back, continue the discussion here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, my friends. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, as we've been talking about myths and rumors, it's such an interesting thing about just the human psyche. We really don't want to change. Change is a very, very big deal for us. And if we could just keep in the same mode, our, our, our mind, our ego might just love to keep doing it, even if we're wrong. So on the Coach's Corner, I wanted to take some time to have us just evaluate our own relationships. Would you be willing to share a rumor, even if it's wrong, even if you know it's wrong, or that it might be wrong, or if you're just not sure about it? It's an interesting little thing or dilemma that I see in our human relationships. Sometimes we don't care if it's factual. We want the story to be there. We need the story to be there because it's going to help us perpetuate that end result we need. So when it comes down to it, um, we we probably ought to be very careful with each other, with our spouses, with our friends, with our neighbors, in spreading a rumor, a gossip, a myth, a story that we don't know. And even when we know it, we might not want to spread it, because spreading a rumor is probably a sign that you're trying to somehow seek an advantage And usually if you think about it, a rumor or a gossip or a myth, those are all, those are negative things, right? We don't tell a positive rumor or a positive story or a positive gossip. It tends to be negative. It tends to be so-and-so did this, they made this mistake, and we share it. Whenever you're about to share that information that you're not fully convinced is accurate, you might want to look at yourself and ask, why am I doing this? Why am I willing to keep saying stuff that isn't necessarily true. There is, um, remember, who you are speaks so loudly that it's going to impact the ability for other people to hear you, meaning your integrity, your character is so uh, important that it probably carries the messages that you're saying more than actually what you're saying. So one of the downsides of believing myths, not only are you uninformed or misinformed, But you also go on in spreading misinformation to others, which keeps certain lies, certain prejudice, certain beliefs in play. One of the most powerful things I think you can do to grow character, to grow trustworthiness with the people around you is just be willing to not spread the rumors. Make a rule in your mind that the rumors and the gossip stops with you. I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to share the story. It's interesting, in my own profession, when I uh, talk to a lot of people, I get a lot of information, a lot of inside kind of information in relationships. And um, there's always an opportunity, if I wanted to, to share it. But not only would it break a confidence, but I don't want to be the one that's known for that. I don't want to be the one that's known for sharing that information. And I found it actually does much better for my own reputation and for my own Actually, it's just sense of confidence that I'm not sharing these stories. It's just better. It's better for the relationship. It's better for everyone. And communication is always going to be about trustworthiness. Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear the words you're saying. Your character will always precede your communication, which means you can't communicate at a higher level than you have the character to deliver it. If you don't have the integrity to say something, you can't say it. You just can't say it. Right. I mean, it's just think of whatever politician that's had a sex scandal. They're not the one to be talking about morality. So the minute they've had a sex scandal, they immediately have to give up the moral front ground on, uh, you know, chastity, morality. They can't. They don't have the power And I think that's if you want power with people, don't just assume it's your position. Don't just assume it's your title. It's not being a senator. It's being a senator that people will actually listen to. People will actually trust. And there's two things I teach that are a big part of, I believe, somebody being trustworthy. They got to have the character to deliver. They got to have the integrity, the history. They've got to have, you know, the path that they've lived. They've got to have insight on it. They've got to have that power. They also have to have the competency to actually do it. So we can believe the myths all we want. We can believe uh, just the lies all we want. But in the end, it's going to come out in the wash. People aren't going to trust you. Now, what's weird is 30 or 40 years ago, that mattered a ton. But now it seems like, even in our own presidency elections... Trust isn't as big of a deal. We always throw out these numbers about the trustability or trust that the people have in certain leaders, and yet we vote for them. So I think a lot of people are actually now starting to separate. I don't need to trust you as long as you're competent. I don't need to trust your character as long as you've got competency. But to me, that's ludicrous, right? We've got to trust our doctor's character that they're actually going to show up for the surgery that day. That they're actually going to do the surgery they say they're going to do, that I actually need the surgery because they said I did. And I've got to trust that you're competent, that you're not going to leave a scalpel in me. Two things are essential in every communication your character has to be there and it will precede you, and your competency has to deliver on the message. Now, if you want power with people, don't take the myth, start noticing what you're believing. When you hear something that's too extreme to believe, don't believe it. Trust your gut on that. If it's too good to believe, don't believe it. I was in Mexico, and they would schmooze me so much to sell me a trinket, a keychain. Hey, brother, are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. I believe in God. They're schmoozing me. I have no idea. But my gut's like, eh, eh get away, get away, don't trust this, don't trust this. Now, it's a $1 trinket, but when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your relationships, don't be somebody that spreads the myth. Don't be somebody that spreads the rumor. Don't be somebody that spreads the gossip. I just wouldn't do it. In the end, people will trust you far more for what you won't do than you just jumping in. It might buy you a little, like, you know, good will from a bunch of people around you that like spreading gossip, but I just abstain. I might even take a position like, guys, let's not talk about her. I'd hate to know that when I'm not here, you guys are talking about me this way. Just don't participate. It's a really powerful thing. And um, sometimes sticking up for the the person that is the the butt of the joke or the, you know, the, the poor person that's being beat down by the myth, stick up for those people. In the end, it'll grow character. Sure, it'd be easier to gang on and, you know, just pile on. But the reality is, Your character is going to matter, and it matters today because how I grow character today determines who's going to believe me tomorrow. Do you buy it? Fairly basic stuff. Man, I wish our politicians would buy it. Um, More importantly, I wish the people voting for the politicians would buy it. That's you, my friends. We're going to take a break. Hour number one, my friends. It's in the can. Saved. Go look us up as podcasts forwarded on to the people you love and care about. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now
1: on BYU Radio.
0: BYU Radio.
1: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side. Doing what we can on this show to help you find the good in the world. And also, hey... Not just the good, but also get the skills, the tools you need to, to make it through this crazy thing we call life. You don't just need the news. Sometimes you need to know what to do with it. What are some solutions, some ideas? That's that's very much our purpose here. And uh, so welcome to the program. Got a great show for you coming up. Uh, Megan Ramsey is going to be joining us. She is um, really a, a, an essential player in the Dove the you know the the soap company has a um, self esteem movement that they're trying to start to help young women ha- have a better sense of, of value and self worth and Megan Ramsey is the global director of the Dove self esteem project she'll, she'll be joining us in a few minutes and it's really an interesting contrast because uh, you know we've talked a lot about how we had this huge self esteem movement and um you know that may have created some issues in parenting over the last 20 or 30 years but you'll be amazed at the facts of of how many young women and young men have a really kind of warped sense of self esteem a, a warped sense of self worth maybe uh or even their value or, or or even identity and we're seeing it in the news all over Rachel remember the whole story about Rachel Rachel Dolazal she uh is the 37 year old um, a woman that that affiliates. She she seems. She says she relates to being black. She pretended, I guess, to be a black woman. Was uh, in the uh, Spokane, Washington chapter of the NAACP, and um, really is feels kind of. She feels black. Her parents say, "Well, she's white," but whatever the story is, we want to affiliate with. We want to be accepted. We want to somehow belong, right, to to certain groups and to certain, um, just to certain identities. And so the interesting thing that each one of us are battling, and I think we're going to get into this with uh, Megan Ramsey a little bit later, just we want to belong. We want to know we're valued, and it's going to impact us. You see it in so many stories about our youth, so many stories, just I think even people chasing this concept of perfection. I mean, how on earth, if you're a young woman and everything is airbrushed and you think a size zero model is the size you're supposed to be, if you're not a zero and you're born, you know, with just the normal body, you're already behind the game. So we'll be getting into that today. You'll be thinking about it as well. Uh, you can text us at Dr. Matt show and uh, on um, – on Twitter. I mean tweet us at the doctor at Doctor Matt Show. I'd love to hear your ideas, your thoughts on that. But before we get into self esteem and self worth, let's first go to Kathy Aiken with the National Headlines. Kathy?
2: The search for the two New York prison escapees has apparently gone cold after 12 days. Posters of the two men will reportedly be handed out at Canadian and Mexican border crossings. And according to NBC News, officials had asked for a full lockdown in search of the prison a week before the two men escaped, but the request was denied. The search was requested after a fight broke out in one of the prison yards on May 31st. Texas is bracing for more rain and flooding today as Tropical Storm Bill moves further inland. The National Weather Service says three to six inches of rain could fall today with as much as 12 inches of rain in some areas. The Lone Star State had the wettest month ever in May with floods that killed 20 people and destroyed dozens of homes. A sack filled with homemade bombs in an abandoned Boko Haram camp in Nigeria exploded, killing 63 people. Local militia reportedly found the bag in a northeast region of the country. When residents gathered to examine the bag, it exploded. Boko Haram remains responsible for several acts of terrorism in the area as thousands of refugees continue to flee. The 16 year old boy who was attacked by a shark at a North Carolina beach is now speaking out.
4: I was just in about waist deep water I would say just kind of hit my arm and it was that was the first I saw it was when it was biting up my left arm kind of got that off (laughs) eventually and I got out of the water with the help of my cousin.
2: Hunter Treschel lost his arm, his left arm in the attack. A 12-year-old girl lost part of her left arm in a similar attack just an hour before Treschel's and about two miles away. They don't know if the same shark is involved in both attacks. After a four-decade drought, the Golden State Warriors are the NBA champions. Steph Curry and Andre Iguodala scored 25 points each to help Golden State win in six games. Iguodala was MVP.
5: I'm not surprised because I'm that confident in my game. I'm I'm, I'm too hard on myself most of the time. I I was just happy with winning the ring. Like, I didn't really care about anything else. This is just a plus.
2: LeBron James, who basically carried the Cavs throughout the series, finished with 32 points, 18 rebounds, and nine assists in the loss. James is now two and four in NBA finals. Yesterday in New York, 69 year old Donald Trump announced his candidacy for president, saying he'll put more people back to work.
0: The greatest social program is a job. I will be the greatest jobs president that God ever created. I tell you that.
2: The real estate billionaire is the 12th GOP candidate to enter the race. And Matt, did you hear who Trump said would be a good running mate? Yes, Oprah. Oprah Winfrey, two billionaires, you know.
1: Just yeah. You know, it's interesting. In. I wonder what Oprah thought about that because I think Oprah would rather be the president.
2: Well, apparently he said the same thing back in 1999 when he was Did teasing yeah. everybody again uh-huh. and Oprah said, "Yeah, no thanks." <laughs> and the fact that she, you know, endorsed Obama the last two elections, I don't
6: think they'd be I, a good pair.
1: I don't think we're going there. It's such an interesting interesting <laughs> dynamic cuz here we're going to be talking about self-esteem. Who has more self-esteem, <laughs> even real or not, than Donald Trump?
2: Well, definitely from the out side he seems very confident don't you wonder if he's really actually that confident i mean he, he said really i that will confident. be the
1: greatest jobs president that god, god has ever, ever create. created
2: that's arrogance i
1: mean the minute you're invoking god that's a whole different game
2: but you know i think politicians every politician oh, has a huge ego i do it is, it is, it is you almost large. have
1: to in a way just to be willing to go through that nightmare oh Right? You have
2: to have very thick skin.
1: I mean, it's tough stuff. Hey, uh, what's your take on this? On young women and self-esteem? It's got to be so hard.
2: You know, I feel badly for young women because the media, the magazines, and everything portray them as if they aren't, like you yeah. said, the zero. Wow, they're heavy. You I know, mean, that's who's really a zero?
1: That. I mean, that's just like, I mean, I'm a zero. Let's not get me wrong. But that's a hard thing, and I'm not even airbrushed. <laughs> But I should be. But, it's you know, just that's the, hard. That's,
2: that the whole fallacy is so many of these pictures, there are airbrushed. Yeah, and yeah. so these girls are assuming this is reality. This is what I need to be. I think it's really unfortunate. I can't wait to hear this interview. And they also have great.
1: all of these women, these young girls get online and they send a picture of themselves and then they say, am I pretty? And then they get people responding mm. to, yeah, you're pretty. Uh, yeah, your hair's... And you're going to get your feedback for your identity from... A bunch of people that don't even know you. Oh, tough stuff.
2: Yeah, that is. I can't wait for the interview. This will well, be great.
1: Well, thanks uh, for the news too, Kathy. Good stuff. We are, are going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be meeting and talking with Megan Ramsey. You really ought to go to YouTube, look up Megan Ramsey, and and watch this. Her her. Uh, it's really, it's it's kind of sad. It's a it's a TED talk, but she's talking about the reality that these young women, and by the way, young men are facing. When it comes to self esteem and self worth, and uh, you got to watch out what you're talking, how you're talking to yourself, and what you're saying to yourself. You're not ugly. It's a tough battle. We'll be talking about it up next with Matt, Megan Ramsey right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. How many selfies are posted in a day, would you guess? Well, according to an estimate in 2014 by Google, over 93 million selfies are taken per day, which amazes me because I personally take three or four hundred and post them all. Uh, Just go to my Twitter page, Dr. Matt Show and that uh, by the way could even be a modest a- estimate of 93 million it's become increasingly clear that we live in a culture obsessed with image in fact the word selfie was declared oxford english dictionary's word of the year in 2013 but what are the repercussions of the selfie what with cyberbullying you know rearing its particularly ugly head This question deserves some serious consideration. Megan Ramsey, who's the Global Director of the Dove Self-Esteem Project, joins us now live on the phone to discuss how our image-obsessed culture is impacting self-esteem, especially the self-esteem of our youth. Ms. Ramsey, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
7: Thanks very much for having me.
1: Great to have you here. And uh, so, first of all, just kind of fill us in on what is the Dove Self-Esteem Project? Sure.
7: So... The Dove Self-Esteem Project was um, set up 10 years ago to help women and girls develop a more positive relationship with the way that they look. Mm. Um, really helping them to reach their full potential in life, not really held back by negative thoughts or feelings about their appearance. And uh, it's really a vehicle for creating that change. You know, delivering education and, uh, and messaging that helps overcome some of this um, overemphasis on image that, that we're seeing in society today.
1: It's such a—if if anybody's ever seen the commercials and some of the, the YouTube videos about this project, I think it's fascinating. It's actually—it's kind of—it's sad— just some of the just some of the things that young women have to overcome um, about and in the paradigms their their self worth issues and their self uh, and the labels they have to kind of deal with talk to us about what really is going on how how is self image how is it impacting these youth
7: yeah it's um it's it's not a happy story to be honest so we know that uh, we know that four percent of women around the world, just four, um, would describe themselves as beautiful. Mm. But we also know that 72% of girls feel pressure to be beautiful. And that pressure is really what's negatively affecting their lives. And when we think about the way in which it's affecting their lives, it's sort of in three key areas. One is uh, with their health. One is with their academic achievement and one is around impaired social engagement and sort of participation in civic life and you know if I just focus on um academic achievement and education you know one in three girls is failing to engage in classroom debate because they don't think they look good enough
1: oh my heavens
7: you know, like it 's when you really um, start thinking about the pressure that is placed on on these kids to look a certain way and the way that that 's then internalized and then um, manifested in terms of their behaviors, you really start seeing the impact not only on them as individuals but if this is happening to you know seventy two percent of kids around the world, actually collectively you know, considering the the impact this is having on us as a society, I think it really, you know, speaks to to the need for this sort of work. Yeah.
1: They're not even share. They just, because of their image, their look, they don't feel beautiful enough, they won't share their voice. They hide their voice.
7: Exactly, exactly. And if you don't and share your
1: voice, you can't find your voice, right? You don't ever find your voice.
7: No, and you don't have that constant... Um, um, confidence-building um, impact of, you know, you shared your voice one day and then it went well, so then you have more confidence to share it the next day mm-hmm. and then the next day and the next day. But if you don't do it in the first place, then you don't ever really get on that ladder building that confidence and, and the opportunity to then develop into, you know, the kind of human that you want to be. I think that's what it all really comes down to, is um, is developing sort of a balanced sense of self and being confident in just being who you are as an individual and when we place too much importance on your appearance actually that comes at the expense of all of the other aspects of, of ourselves. And, you know, when I say all of the other aspects of ourselves, this is sort of everything from the individual to the way in which we engage with others. So not just our, our health and our, um, our sort of mental being, but also our relationships and um, the physical abilities that we develop through sports and, um, and hobbies and so on. And, and as we said as well, our education and academic success mention mm.
1: workplace. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's it's really telling too because here in the United States, we, you know, we have a we have Hillary Clinton running for president, possibly the first female president of the United States, and that's such a powerful, you know, iconic concept. Uh women finally leaders in in US government except of women in one of the studies you guys have talked about, 80% of women agree that every woman has something about her that is beautiful but do not see their own beauty. So one thing is to have a president that's a female. It's another thing to actually have the average female believing in her own self.
7: Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a couple of things going on there, though, isn't there? Because I think there's – one thing is the importance of – representation and having role models out there yeah so
1: to hear the voice yeah
7: positions of leadership but not only leadership you know seeing women in in all sorts of different roles whether they're leaders or not leaders but just fulfilling roles in um in society right um whichever they wish to um is really really important to show the diversity of what's possible and not just for girls but for boys as well you so this diversity you know is really really important um and and that's critical for sure um and we then you know the other side of what you were just speaking about is this need for us to internalize our own self-worth and place value on ourselves that is beyond just the way that we look. Yeah. And I think demonstrating um, this diversity in role models and so on, having l- women in the public eye that are celebrated for all that they do and the efforts that they make and so on, and not just because of what outfit they're wearing or what their haircut is or yeah. <laughs> any of that sort of thing, actually celebrated for the role that they're playing. Um, really helps girls and boys develop that sort of sense that you are valued for more than what you look like.
1: That's so true, right? That, and does, do you sense just technology? I mean, the concept of a selfie, and I've watched in your, you, in your um, TED Talk the images of these women, these young women putting their picture out there on the Internet and then asking, am I beautiful? And then allowing, and then having the feedback of other people helping to kind of sculpt their sense of their identity. Is technology helping this, hurting it? What's your take on that?
7: Uh, I really don't think we can blame technology personally. Technology is just a vehicle for us to communicate with one another and express ourselves. Um, digitally or, you know, in a non-analog sense. And so I feel like um, we really can't be blaming technology. Rather, I think we need to um, think about the way in which we are expressing ourselves and the reasons why we are expressing ourselves in that way. I really don't think it's um, about about the technology per se yeah. what technology has provided though is a more instantaneous um, uh, access to information and a more um, uh, like more information, you know, the volume of information and how fast it's um, communicated or, or um, uh, uh, transmitted uh, is, is so much greater than it's ever been before in history and that's part of the part of the challenge is we're still working out as individuals and as society how to process all of this information. Right. And when a lot of this information is so visual, you know, so image-heavy, I think um, it's really easy to take things at face value rather than really stopping to question mm-hmm. everything that we're seeing. And I think that's, I mean, that's certainly one of the things that we try and do um, through the Dove self Esteem Project is really try and help educate kids to become really savvy consumers of the media that they are um, engaging with. But not just more critical in terms of their consumption of media, but savvy and conscious publishers of their own media because let's face it we all have a role to play we're all to your point posting selfies and making comments on other people's social feeds and you know like we're all engaging in this um whether consciously or 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 not um we're part of this this world and and this world is online as much as it is offline these days too so um, it really
1: is i guess educating the young women and young men that you have a major part in your sculpting of who you are.
7: Yeah, and, exactly. And, you're and, and also, you know what you what you say and do. You're part of a community. You know, you're part of society, and the way that you behave and engage and discuss and talk about the way people look or the way that you look, the way that you might filter the images of yourself. Um, you know, there's that's the other thing that i should just mention as well is that i we don't it's not about removing the fun you know um there's nothing wrong with playing around with images and um and having fun with you know experimenting with different looks and different sort of styles and um creative expression that's certainly not what we're we're saying and and um and i would hate to think that anyone would think that. Um, but actually, it's more about making sure that your reasons for doing that is not to conform to some narrow stereotype that you, know, you think you have to conform to 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 fit in and be liked and be valued by people around you. Yeah, It's well, really about self-expression instead.
1: And, 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 too, I love this idea that we uh, – my – I also can help you if if I don't buy into those, you know, stereotypes or beliefs, then I make it easier for you not to. And then if I give feedback that's more positive and affirmative, I can impact you. You can impact me. I mean, it's it's really it seems like such a beautiful idea to just educate the power that we all have in influencing each other's self-esteem, which it seems like. Honestly, is the power of the Dove Self Esteem Project. By the way, we're going to take a break. We're again, we're going to come back and continue this discussion with Megan Ramsey, who is the global director of the Dove Self Esteem Project at Unilever. And if you go to the website selfesteem.dove.us, you can you can see their website, get, gather some of this data and information, but also watch some some great information. Uh, it's it's a it's a powerful movement, empowering our youth to. Uh, To not just buy the stereotypes and not continue to push the stereotypes. Be different. Make a bigger, uh, make your own identity. That's a a great start. We'll take a break. More on self-esteem right here when we come back on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're uh, talking about uh, Dove's Self-Esteem Project, why you should see yourself as beautiful. And interestingly, only uh, 80% of the people, actually 80% of the people polled, I I guess, uh, um, by Dove, I guess, saw themselves as beautiful. Beautiful but couldn't necessarily, no, no 80% didn't. I don't know, we'll have to ask her. Let's get Megan on here and ask Megan what the stat meant. Megan, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Help us with that stat, because it's, women, Is it is, first of all, we we value this idea that we need to be beautiful. We value that there are good qualities and traits about everybody. Is it just that they're not, our young women um, aren't seeing it?
7: I The statistically speaks, to the number of women that um, recognize the beauty in others but not themselves. Okay. And I think that, um, that this is something that many people could, could relate to, certainly um, 80% as per that statistic. Um, but I think what the Dove Self-Esteem Project is trying to do is be really uh, positive in terms of the action that we're taking to address this so that we're not held back yeah. um, by the way we think we look, you know, from from being who who we are in life or achieving what it is that we want to. And if,
1: if there's a great website you've put together, selfesteem.dov.us. Thank you. And, I mean, it helps with – there's so many resources there, and you can go on as a parent, a teacher, a mentor. But it, it also addresses issues like teasing and bullying, growing up, and body image issues. It's not just self-esteem, but friends and relationships. Uh, it, in fact, on there, there's a study that's just kind of a running poll that you're taking. of Who has the biggest influence on your daughter's body? Celebrities, friends, or parents? And the, the just the stat so far is 66% say it's their friends. 34% say parents. 0% uh, on the poll so far online say celebrities. So this really is it's it's a friend to friend thing which I could see if you could empower your daughter to to understand some of these ideas and understand where self esteem and value and worth comes from she she might be able to be a powerful influence with her peers
7: absolutely absolutely i mean I love that that really speaks to um, the role that each of us have to play in in uh, you know starting to change some of this obsession um i do think I think that poll is very interesting because that's uh, sort of self-reporting people. Yeah. that's people that are, are visiting the website, which, as you say, is packed full of sort of articles and tips and advice and so on for um, for parents and teachers and mentors of girls to have these great conversations with them and help them build a more positive sense of body confidence and uh, and self-esteem. Um, but you know the research the more psychological research and, and society-wide research shows that uh, it's really a combination of the role models in our lives and, in particular, those that are um, closest to us relationships-wise, so to so our, our parents mm-hmm. um, and close female relatives, our peers and, and friendship networks, both on and offline in real life, um, as well as the um, celebrities and role models that are held up to us in society through through the media. And it's that sort of the tripartite, if you like, the three different areas um, that are all um, contributing towards um, the way in which we feel about ourselves.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, talk about that. I mean, I know in your TED Talk you mentioned... Um, these different, I guess, areas of focus for the program. Mm. Talk about a few of them. I mean, teasing and bullying, that, that's one of the areas, because I guess the, the real downside of the self-esteem kind of issue is you're probably more prone to get bullied. You're probably more prone to be a bully. Yeah. It, it's got to impact us in a very big way.
7: Yeah, it's I mean teasing and bullying if you think particularly when it relates to appearance, if people are, um, um, are teased it's largely based on a surface issue you know yeah. Typically, the the first thing people want to criticise is the easiest thing. And if we're really only seeing, if it's online teasing and bullying, then you're typically looking at an image or um, a short film. And if it's offline, you're probably not engaging with that person on a very deep level um, to understand, you know, um, any broad context, and therefore it's often to do with appearance as well. It's sort of the easy way out, if you like, for a a, a teaser or a bullier. And so appearance, teasing and and bullying that is based on appearance um, can really damage uh, self-esteem. And that's like, I think what's really important here for for listeners is really thinking about the difference between playful teasing and harmful teasing. Right. Because I think, you know, it's really common for us to sort of have a little nudge here, a little dig there with, with, um, with people. But the more we do that, if it's based on appearance, the more people start taking it to heart, even if it's intended to be quite lighthearted. Um, and so what we really try and do is, is um, work so that young people can confidently you know, decide a course of action when they experience teasing um, either themselves or when they're bystanders of the teasing of others, um, that really helps to protect their self-esteem in in the long term, not to mention avoid, you know, teasing other people um, as well about their appearance. That, but that's it, just one of those factors.
1: That is. And that's such a basic, I mean, kids have been teasing other kids forever, And yet what I love is that we have the ability to take the latest research and to take – and and use the power, I mean, of the media in a way to to empower our children to understand how to respond to the teasing. Forever, Mm -hmm. you know, just go punch them out. But now it's like (laughs) let's find a better psychological way to respond and – and, and actually get you prepared to, to be more resilient to teasing or to be more resilient to your body being different. It's not like you're it, it, kind of the old movement of self-esteem used to be more like me just telling you you're great. You're yeah, great. Do. And just drill that into your head, which may have created some monsters or whatever. But, <laughs> but in the end, you're actually it seems so much more proactive to give them tool sets to handle their differences and deal with reality.
7: Um, have the confidence to be an individual yes. so, you know feeling the pressure to join in with other people who are bullying or teasing that can be immense yeah. you know that that pressure to join in it could be easier to do nothing to stand by, but you know if um, uh, if we give kids the confidence to be um, to be themselves and the tools to be able. To um, to step in when it's appropriate. Of course, we don't want them to, you know, um, put their safety at risk or anything like that. But um, if we can do that, then we can start to change some of this behaviour um, more broadly, both in, for individuals as well as um, as collectively.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean,
7: but, you know we've got this research that shows that you know although many children would like to intervene in these situations, very few actually do so, so oh, if we can help them to do so then then we we will
1: yeah, because we hear the news stories of the bullying and the and then to know that somebody in the group would like to step out and but they don't have the tools they don't know how to do it and and there really there is an art to it, and there is a danger to it, so yeah. it's these are conversations, and I could see that just on the website. This might be a really powerful thing to maybe take your children aside. We do a thing uh, that we just call a family home evening where once a week we just sit our family down and we'll talk about some issue or talk about a topic. But this might be a really powerful place, uh, the website us to go get some topics and bring up and start a discussion with our kids about do they feel bullied? Do they do they know what their strengths are? And I mean, it's it could just be a powerful discussion.
7: Yeah, yeah. And what I like about having the discussion about it is that you're giving space in the family time to, to really explore the different nuances there. You know, it's not a black and white thing. It's not straightforward. It's, it's very... Um, um, every situation is very different mm-hmm. and by helping explore different situations um with your kids, actually you then see that you know life 's not perfect and that there are different ways of of handling different situations and you know you give them the tools to to do their best in the situations that they find themselves in at the time
1: yeah, and at their age i mean certain ages i have I have uh you know a twelve year old that what he thinks is cool is just scary because <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, it's the, and then I have a 10 year old that the, the neatest thing he can be is fast. If he can run faster than anyone in class, he's the bomb. Right. And then the, yeah. I, but it's like, so it's almost like developmentally, you need to be willing or able to take the time to kind of address their issues at their level. But then, I mean, I'm imagining, you know, a child's going through puberty and they're starting to break out with pimples or acne and that would be a powerful discussion. So, when somebody starts making fun of your acne, what would that look like? What do we say? Do you ever get do you ever get push, people pushing back about that? And teach them, role model, you know, role play some possible solutions. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, really, this is this is. I mean, it, it seems to make sense for Dove, right? Because and and Unilever, because they're, they're going to sell more soap, but. It doesn't – it's also so powerful. It's empowering. And to me, to see a corporation care about the self-esteem, it's powerful.
7: Yeah, thank you. Because I think um, Dove over the last 10 years especially – I mean, always. We, we launched in – 1957 and we've always been about sort of bringing real women to the fore and using the testimonials of real women um, to explain our, our products and all that you know the, the work that we do at that level but really over the last 10 years I think you know it was 10 years ago that we launched the campaign for real beauty and we've realized that raising awareness of importance of celebrating reality and diversity and individuality um is something that many people want to be involved with you know they want to celebrate this idea and we need to help them um to to do that yeah i think um you know the uh, the um the beauty of this is that um it the dove self-esteem project is and the work that dove does through its it's films, videos online, and uh, and advertising is that it goes beyond the products we sell. It's the idea that we're trying to communicate mm-hmm. that um, that we're really most proud of.
1: Well, and it's I think it's a great role model. I mean, it's a great model, I think, for corporations. You can care, and uh, even if there is a direct correlation to the bottom line or not, you can care and you have a civic duty, a community duty to to lift not just to profit as we as we kind of wrap this up what um what should we be doing when you look at it megan um what should we be doing as parents as peers as models or re- or mentors what should we be doing to help further the self image and 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 help teens better understand who they really are
7: it's a, it's a great question and of course everyone's different but i think First and foremost, having those conversations with the young people in our lives is um, one of, um, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, but it's it's certainly one of the most important things, really valuing um, them and reinforcing for them the different aspects of themselves beyond just their appearance. There are enough messages and images, you know, thrown at them during the course of the day and on their media devices and so on um, that talks to them about appearance, really strengthening and valuing and deepening the, va- the, the um uh, discussions and um, support for the development of the other aspects of their personalities I think is is, um, is the first and most um, important thing. But some really other easy things for everyone to get involved with, even if you don't have young people specifically in your life, are uh, just thinking about the way in which we um, behave ourselves, uh, particularly online in the way in which we comment on pictures or um post our own um photographs and so on no problem to post a selfie but don't be commenting on um on on the way you know the way people are looking or um because that in itself is reinforcing the value of appearance you know that's that's one thing certainly self-talk as well you know when we're walking down the street and don't suck in your stomach when you're seeing yourself in the mirror, or you know, flex your muscles if you're a guy, or yeah. any of that sort of thing as well. It's those sorts of everyday, little, subtle behaviours that all join together to make this um, the the bigger problem that it needs to be.
1: So powerful. Well, Megan, we appreciate you and Great work again, everybody. Go to the website. SelfEsteem.Dove.US, incredible resource I think just for articles insight uh, for the media to help stop teasing and bullying and um, and also to improve self-esteem also go check out Megan Ramsey's video uh, on TED Talks it's just it's enlightening and um, really it's a battle we need to win folks what happens when a generation doesn't see its worth or its strengths it's it's a scary scary future We'll take a break. When we come back, we will uh, be visiting with Kathy Aiken and uh, talking about one of our new uh, programs here just seeing the good in the world. A little segment about the good that actually exists out there, hoping to help you, you know, lift your eyes a little bit higher. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. One of the goals of this program is to help you, you know, see the role models you need to see, see good examples. We could talk about the bad news all day long, but the reality is, I believe there's significantly more good news going on. We just don't always see the good in the world. So, helping us to see it, Kathy Aiken. How are you,
2: friend? Thank you. Oh, well, Matt, thanks so much. Good to have Doing you here. you great. Thank you.
1: What, what's, uh, what are we going to – who are you talking about today?
2: Well, you know, you talked about all the bad in the world. And it seems weekly, right? There's negative stories yeah. about the police officers in the country. But we found one story that I think shows the great side of cops, a good story of a lieutenant from Texas that went over and beyond the call of duty. Eric Ellison is a lieutenant with the Orange, Texas Police Department
3: a uh, town of about 20,000 people right on the uh, I-10 corridor at the Texas-Louisiana border in far southeast Texas.
2: A job he's been doing since 1994.
3: I had a neighbor growing up that was a police officer, and I just always uh, thought that that was neat to be able to, to, you know, help and give back. And I just, this is just where I felt the uh, Lord drew me to, and that's what I've uh, just been doing. I wear a uniform, I drive a marked car, I answer calls.
2: On May 24th, Ellison took a call that would change his life, make that two lives forever.
3: You, you kind of get a feel for your dispatcher's voice inflection. And uh, when the dispatcher came across, uh, you know, advising the officers to be en route to the 1200 block of West Park in reference to a major um, traffic crash, you knew it was, it was pretty bad. Uh, of course, nothing can expect you to see what you see when you get there. Uh, an accident of that magnitude, basically what had happened was a uh, alleged drunk driver was operating a Ram 2500 diesel truck at an excessively high rate of speed to the fact that he jumped a set of railroad tracks and landed on top of uh, Mr. and Ms. Porsche on their motorcycle as they were traveling in front of the uh, diesel truck.
2: 54-year-old Riley Porsche and his 50-year-old wife Emily were killed. After locating their identification, Lieutenant Ellison went to their home to do what he calls the worst part of his job, finding the next of kin. Eighteen-year-old Kazzie Porche answered the door.
3: Oh, just, you know, an initial shock, and uh, I think the, the totality of it kind of sank in when we actually saw that I had pictures of his mom and dad's driver's license on my phone, and, and um, you know, then I just started going through the process of, uh, you know, you got any brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, you know, you go to church here locally, which he did. So I got his youth pastor on the phone and, and got the youth pastor en route with some of his, uh, his classmates and, and youth group.
2: After a long visit, the high school senior turned to Ellison after remembering a very important upcoming event his parents would miss.
3: That's when he just kind of looked at me with a blank stare like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm graduating this coming Saturday. So... That's kind of how this whole news story kind of broke. And uh, you know, he said, "What do I do? I'm supposed to graduate." And that's when I said, "Well, you're you're going to walk. That's what your parents would want, and uh, that's what you're going to do." And I said, "Your parents may not be there, but they're going to be there in spirit, and they're going to have front row seats in uh, in heaven, and and I'll be there to, to greet you when you get across that stage. I'm, I'm gonna make sure you get across that stage. We, you know, we got this. I got your back, and and we're gonna make sure this happens."
2: So just one day after his own daughter graduated from high school and less than 24 hours after the Porches were laid to rest, Lieutenant Ellison kept his promise, not only attending Cassie's graduation, but the 6'1", 250-pound new friend was waiting for him at the end of the stage.
3: Whenever his name was called, the other uh, seniors just stood up and, and went berserk, applauding for him, and then all the family and friends and everybody in attendance followed suit and uh, like I said, I don't even think Kasey even uh, even saw. us off, you know, behind the stage, to the side of the stage, whatever. And after he got his diploma and was shaking on the school board hand, he, you know, we both kind of made eye contact with each other, and he had, uh, you know, didn't had that uh, embrace that was kind of felt around the world. And like I said, we, we both cried, and that's okay. And and uh, you know, told him we're gonna we're gonna go go forward from here. So he's a great kid with a great future for sure.
2: Porsche is trying to move forward now with plans of attending college. He has a great support group from his community and extended family, which includes four married siblings. It also includes an adopted older brother, the lieutenant from Orange, Texas, who hopes this story shines a light on
3: love. Just love one another. There, there's so much hate in the world today that it's uh, it's really sickening. And uh, if, if you would just, you know, the golden rule just do unto others as you would have to do unto yourself, you know, just. Live that, live that lifestyle, try to be, uh, you know, that old saying, what would Jesus do? Well, what would Jesus do in a situation like that, you know? It, it's just, I, I don't really know how to explain it other, other than it's um, it's a God thing, just to be able to minister and just love on people like that. Um, uh, you know, God puts you in places and uh, you just try to strive to be, uh, be Christ-like.
1: Wow! What a
2: Great
3: story,
1: Lieutenant Allison.
2: You're awesome.
1: I, seriously, and there's a million like him. Really, I mean, we think that that's a one in a million story, but there's so many of those going on. Those stories are out there.
2: You know, they have to come across so many horrible, horrible situations. Ugh. For him to go over and beyond that, I think was wonderful. It was so great in our conversation. You could tell what just an incredible Christian man he is. He quoted yeah. scripture, and uh, just truly believes that what he did. Was what God would want us to do? So, just help our fellow man.
1: Just live in his values, and then how interesting too. I mean, the 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 terror of having to go tell somebody that their parents have died, right? But then how much how much he called the pastor, the and then the impact of community and friends, right? That's right. so really what it is is we just the pain can be absorbed by community friends and some cop that doesn't even.
2: Doesn't even know know exactly. I mean, he sat with that boy for hours until he had all the support that he needed before he left, and you know, kept his promise. I'll be right there for you. Took his parents' place, and I asked him. I said, "Have you kind of formed a bond, a friendship?" He said, "Absolutely. We'll we'll be friends forever." So,
1: holy cow! Wow! It's that's again. That's Kathy. You nailed it. That's why we're doing the show. That's why we do all of this. Is because there are those great examples out there.
2: Wow! And he's one of them. Thanks to Lieutenant Ellison.
1: Good job, man. See the good in the world, folks. Uh, We're going to take a break. Uh, Hour number two of the show, the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can, my friends. Life is good. There are good people out there. And each of us have so much to offer, just like that great lieutenant. Uh, We'll take a break. Come back, start a whole new hour right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
1: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the show where we uh, help you live longer, help you love stronger, lead healthier relationships, lives, you know, it's about the people. Come on, folks! It's going to be about the people. And uh, on this program, we're going to give you the insight you need. Not just the news; we'll do the news as well. But we also are going to be uh, bringing on experts that know what they're talking about. Today, we are going to be getting into um, your marital problems and your arguments. So, if you argue with your spouse, or maybe you don't argue. Maybe you do the old fight and flight where one of you's, you know, arguing and the other one's leaving. Does that battle, does that does that intense moment between you and your spouse, if it's witnessed by the kids, does that matter? What is the impact that your fighting has on your children? That your arguing would have on your children? Well, we're going to be talking about it. Dr. Brian Willoughby assistant professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University, also the director of the Relate Institute. He'll be joining us to give us some, um, give us the facts, just the facts, man, about uh, what really goes on when you are arguing in front of your children. That intensity, is it harmful? Is it helpful? Is it teaching your children that this is life and life is hard? Anyway, it's a, it's a big deal because each of us, um, we want to do what's best for our children, and I a lot of times I have people come up to me and say, yeah, well, I need to – we've got a divorce because we argue. I'm going to ask the expert, is that a cause for divorce, Are arguing? Or is it normal? And we just need to learn how to do it, how to have a healthier conversation. Anyway, uh, very, very, I think, uh, in, important insight that you'll be getting in just a few moments. Also, uh, another interesting, I think uh, – lesson that we ought to do is probably send dr willoughby to the republican party and let him work with so far the 12 candidates that are now in the race Uh, with donald trump in there it seems like we've just amped up the political race times seven he's you know he's calling a lot of people stupid a lot of people idiots we're clueless he's got an incredible uh i guess i don't know what you call it charisma a lot of people think he's the bomb but what would you think? I mean, is he is he your candidate? Anyway, interesting, interesting stuff. You can sell it. You can be strong. You can be charismatic. But uh, sometimes you just might be offending people. So we'll be talking about relationships and uh, just good old fashioned arguments. What's the impact up next? But before we do that, let's go to Kathy Aiken and find out uh, what's going on in the headlines
2: tropical depression bill is moving further inland as Texans brace for more heavy rain today. The center of the storm is expected to move northward, dropping up to five inches of rain in the state, still cleaning up from the flooding that left 14 dead over the Memorial Day weekend. A flash flood watch is in effect for all of central Texas through 7 p.m. tomorrow night. The hunt for the two escaped killers from a New York prison has expanded. The search has apparently grown cold after searching for nearly 12 days. Now posters of the two will be handed out at border crossings into Canada and Mexico. Officials now believe multiple people may have helped the two escape. Rachel Dolezal, the woman who resigned her post with the NAACP in Spokane, says there's no biological proof that her parents are actually her parents. Dolazal, the white woman who claimed she was black, said she's never had a DNA test to prove who her parents are. Her mother and father came forward recently saying Dolezal was lying about her race. Donald Trump made it official yesterday in New York, throwing his name in the ring for president.
0: I don't need anybody's money. I'm using my own money. I'm not using the lobbyists. I'm not using donors. I don't care. I'm really rich. I'll show you that in a second. I'm not even saying that in a brag. That's the kind of mindset. That's the kind of thinking you need for this country. The 69-year-old Trump is the 12th
2: GOP, GOP candidate so far in the field. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker expected to the race sometime in July. The death toll from the balcony collapse in an apartment building in Berkeley, California, has risen to six. Thirteen people were on the balcony when it collapsed early yesterday morning. The other seven people are seriously injured. LeBron James couldn't carry his shorthanded Cavaliers anymore last night as the Golden State Warriors beat Cleveland 105-97 to to win the NBA title. That's the Warriors' first championship since 1975. Here's Golden State head coach Steve Kerr.
3: We were fortunate
5: in a lot of ways this year. Maybe number one was health to win a title. There's obviously a lot of work. We had a lot of luck on our side this year, and our guys took advantage of it, and they were
0: fantastic. But, uh, man, what what a night.
2: LeBron James fell just one assist short of another triple-double in the series. Stephen Curry and Andre Iguodala scored 25 apiece for the Warriors. Iguodala, by the way, was named MVP. The first player named MVP of the finals who didn't start a single game in the regular season. In Women's World Cup action yesterday, the U.S. defeated Nigeria 1-0 thanks to a late first-half goal by Abby Wambach, her 14th World Cup goal. The win gave the U.S. a first-place finish in its group. And Matt, findthehome.com has compiled the list of the top housing markets
0: mm. in the US.
2: I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you four. You give me the number 1. Okay. Okay, okay number 5, Sacramento, California. Yes. Number 4, Sacra- uh, San Francisco and Oakland area. Number 3, Oxnard, California. Number 2, San Jose, California. Mm. And drumroll please. <sighs> number 1. Hmm. Warm weather.
1: Warm weather. Uh Palm trees. Palm trees. Mm-hmm. Palm Springs
2: but nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I want to it go. It's too expensive.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Where? Okay, Hawaii? so the
2: median home price here- That's expensive. Just under $200,000. Yeah. $198,800.
1: Pa- uh, so California, its uh, it's got to be California or no, Florida. it's
2: not. Florida, there you go. Miami. Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. It says the reason is a strong economy with an influx of overseas buyers. You know that- Interesting. Over $200,000 in Miami. I would have never thought no it was way. that yeah. low. Yeah.
1: Plus, you you've got some great food there, great culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm surprised
2: so many in California. California is expensive.
1: Well, I was thinking, yeah, there's I was no thinking, water, and I, yeah, there's you can't even water your lawn anymore. Nope. Interesting stuff. Yeah. What about uh, what's going on with Donald Trump? Those quotes, he went for one hour, but he's. Did you see the thing John Stewart posted on Twitter about this guy's? This guy is my. He is my new. Happy place. <laughs> He's getting more stuff. Can you from imagine Donald the late Trump. night
2: hosts are going to have they a love it. field day with, well, with him? Would
1: you not be, if you're a Rubio, a Marco Rubio, would you not be terrified? Because now all of a sudden you got a, a loose cannon that's willing to say anything. Yep. And facts aside, he'll say it.
2: You know, I think those, Matt, I think some people are just hungry for them being truthful and honest. Yeah. No, yeah. You know, sometimes, I mean, Hillary on the Democratic side and I don't know who to pick on the Republican side, but sometimes you think, come on, just, just tell the truth. They're dancing. Yeah.
1: Around. Except I, I'm rich. I'm a very I'm a rich man.
2: Billionaire. Yeah. I'm, and I don't need your money. I don't I can need run your with money. my own money. Well,
1: again, that's scary because then rich people could just do it. I mean, just the run. idea is if there's supposed to be a process here, Right. Where right. you're. It's anyway,
2: yeah, I just think this whole process goes way too long. I think six I months too. that should be it. Six the months, Brits have it right, I think they do
1: one month, a one month, one
2: month, exactly, and just get it a year and a half it's just it's ridiculous, way and, too long,
1: and then I think in the end, just like I learned in Cancun with the Mayans, losers <laughs> killed. <laughs> I mean, is that too, is that too that's rough? That's a little strong. Yeah, yeah maybe we've that's evolved past the, the <laughs> But I mean, there's times you're like, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> uh, that way they, they couldn't all come back the next time. Uh, anyway, great stuff, Kathy. Appreciate it. Great news. And uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, a good friend of the show, Dr. Brian Willoughby, will be joining us. He's a professor here at Brigham Young University in the uh, in the Family um, School of Family Life and also is the director of the Relate Institute we're going to be talking about marital conflict and the impact it actually has on your children. Is it really that big of a deal when you fight in front of your kids? What would you think? We'll ask the experts when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Dr. Brian Willoughby uh, is an assistant professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. He's also the director of the Relate Institute, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to studying and improving romantic relationships. So we thought, hey, let's bring in the pro. Nobody knows romance. No, we're not even going to go to romance today. Nobody knows uh, the impact of an argument and in a marriage, and how it impacts the family, better than our good friend Brian Willoughby, because not because you argue, oh, I do though. but you do. My my wife will tell you I'm it, good at arguing. Are you are you a pursuer or a withdrawer? Are you the do you antagonize? Do, do you run? What do you? I mean, by nature, you've corrected it. I know because yeah. you've gone. You're the director of the Relate Institute, or at least
8: I know what I'm doing. You know how to. Do. I know how to analyze yeah, myself. You do.
1: I I tend to withdraw. Do you, I'm a withdrawer? Too. Yeah. It's just. Uh, it's just men do 70% yeah. of the time. That's kind of the male trait, yeah, I that's guess. That's our thing. But talk about a fight. So if our children – a fight is, sounds like fists are involved. An argument. Mm-hmm. Um, if we argue in front of our children, it's not a big deal. I mean we kind of think, well, we shouldn't because uh, – Right. But it's life.
8: It is. It is. And it, it's not about – fight. in fact, and I think we'll probably get into this a little bit yeah. more. If you don't fight in front of your kids, that's actually a problem. Which is counterintuitive because, like you said, we think – we don't want our kids to think we fight. We want want our kids to think we have this great, perfect marriage. And and actually the kids that grow up never seeing their parents fight, they struggle a lot when they're young adults in their relationships. No,
1: is it because they don't – it's a concept that they don't even think happens?
8: Yeah, it's it's partially that, and it's mostly though because they don't know how to resolve conflict. Huh. Because everyone has conflict, even yeah. if you don't see your parents fight. Even the healthiest have couples, married, yeah, even the healthiest have couples conflict. have conflict. In fact, couples that don't have conflict tend to have some underlying issues. <laughs> they're not dealing. <laughs> they're with. hiding something. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, if I never saw my parents fight, that's my primary model for what a relationship. supposed to be like Hmm. I'm looking at my parents and and saying that's what I'm supposed to be doing as a husband as a wife as a spouse in general if I never saw them resolve conflict I get in my own committed relationships as a young adult and I don't know how to resolve them anymore because I never saw that happen you don't see that in movies yeah no you don't see that in tv you don't see that in the media and so all of a sudden one I don't have those skills to resolve conflict and two I have a lot of anxiety about it wait a minute My parents never fought, or at least I think they never fought. And now we're fighting.
1: Now we're fighting. I must have a bad relationship. It's so – that is so counterintuitive. And, And then you can almost see that parents might say, well, okay, so we're having tension. Let's just talk about that in the bedroom. Right. But mm-hmm. so you really we don't want to take it necessarily offline every time. No, you no. need to address it. Yeah, and then that doesn't mean sit your kids down and watch them.
8: Yeah. You know, have here goes watch mom you. and dad. Here we go, round <laughs> go number Go at each one. other. And obviously, certain <laughs> topics you probably want to keep private. But but that doesn't mean that they can't know that. Hey, you know, there might have been a little tension yesterday, but yeah. we want you to know that me and mom, me and your mom, sat down, we talked about it, and we resolved it.
1: That is so. That's it's isn't that that's so
8: counterintuitive? Oh yeah. One well, the thing too is that we think the kids can't pick up, yeah, attention. Oh, kids don't, kids, but they don't. do no. all they... the time, and so they think, well, they they don't. As long as we keep it in the bedroom, we don't fight in front of them, yeah. that they're not going to notice. But they do notice, and one of the reasons they notice is because when you're mad at someone, even if you're not talking to them about it, you're still showing them through yeah. nonverbal language, right. through all these other things that you're doing, being passive aggressive, et cetera. And the
1: kids are now learning that. Interesting, and I mean, kids know too. I had. Somebody just recently said, oh, yeah, my mom's so passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. And that was a 16-year-old girl. Yeah. And I'm like, where did you learn those terms? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. In fact, I spent
8: a lot of the last month listening to interviews of uh, 100 young adults just talking about marriage and relationships. And one of the questions we asked them is, what influenced you, how you think about relationships? And, and time and time again, the first thing that usually comes up is mom and dad. And what a lot of them are saying has been very fascinating. A lot of them grew up, their parents are still together, have been married for 20, 30, 40 years. But they're still saying, you know what? I never want to get married because I saw how miserable my parents were. Oh. They didn't fight. Yeah, they, they weren't physical. There wasn't abuse. But I could tell my mom hated her life. That's what they think. Interesting. She was never happy or my dad was never happy. There's always this
1: tension. Why would I ever want to be
8: in that kind
1: of relationship? Yeah. And and they attribute it to marriage when Mm -hmm. it could just be tension. It could just be life. It could be family. It could be kids. It could be your parents are ailing. Yeah. Yeah. That's depressing. It is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's such a... But you sit there and do this all day long. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's... Is, there, is that why a lot of these millennials aren't choosing to marriage? Do you, marry, do you think? It's a part
8: of it, yeah. They, they, it feeds into this mentality that marriage is a trap. Yeah. That it's something that's going to make my life worse, not better. And again, they, they rely a lot on, on parents. Is there, that's their primary example of, what, at least for most of them, sure. what marriage is like. And they're looking at their parents, looking at their mom and dad and saying, is that what I want? for my life is that yeah. the kind of relationship that I want.
1: So if we have if if we have this tension this the relationship's not feeling positive as a couple what I mean I'm sure there's more harmful ways to handle conflict mm-hmm. and there's probably less harmful ways right. but it seems like the typical is like you were saying this some of us just withdraw from it we just walk away like blah blah blah, blah, right. blah pretend like that's not happening and some want to engage it what what are what are kind of – what are the harmful ways? What are the less harmful ways? What are the healthy ways we right. should have conflict when we're around our kids? Right.
8: Well, we can start with the, the harmful ways because that's what most of us do. Yeah, that's what we're a, good at. A lot of the times. You know, obviously, there, there's kind of the far extreme where you've got physical violence, emotional violence, yeah. verbal abuse. That's not a good thing for kids to see. That's it's not a good thing chart. for any – kind of family dynamic. Um, but there's there's more subtle ways that conflict can be unhealthy too. You know, back to the passive aggressive thing is if 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 we tend to put a cold shoulder towards our our partner and we tend to kind of shun and not interact with them yeah. and kind of try to show them we're upset with them by by not communicating or not engaging with them. Um that's that's a really strong negative thing that kids are pick up on. Oh, mm. mom's mad at dad yeah. dad's mad at mom and now look we're not you know <laughs> we're not sitting down and talking anymore dad didn't come to dinner tonight or, yeah. or they're not coming you know and that, that tends to spill over then to how we interact in our,
1: our family time with our kids well see some people say that now oh, that's so much healthier than yelling not necessarily it's dysfunctional just on the other side right. of the spectrum
8: right exactly um and then there's things that, like interrupting is a huge thing i Uh. talk to my students all a lot about that is when one parent interrupts the other one because that 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 signifies power in the relationship when i interrupt you i'm telling you through my community through the interrupting that i don't think what you say matters interesting Um, and so kids will pick up on little subtle communication things like that like interrupting um, being defensive um, kind of attacking and blaming our partner all the all these kind of
1: Fighting things that we tend to do a lot, kids pick up on those. It's a lot. intensity too. I mean, I've, I've yeah. just seen with a lot of my clients that some just have learned if I bring intensity, mm-hmm. you can't handle it. Right. So I will just blow your. Uh, what are they called? Your circuits. I'll mm-hmm. bl- blow the circuit breakers yeah. in you and this will be done. Right. I'm going to flood
8: you with as uh-huh. much intensity as I can. And, and it help can just be quiet, down, shaking okay? and, and again, steaming. Yeah, Going back to what I said, that's when kids will start picking up. Okay. So dad, let's say dad does that. Yeah. Right. And mom kind of sits back and dad usually gets his way. The kids are sitting back and saying, you know, especially if you look at a, a daughter, mm-hmm. you know, where mom's that kind of primary female role model. She's looking at mom saying, wow, wow, well, I don't want that to happen yeah. to me. I don't want to have to be in a relationship where I have to sit back and take that. And we start generalizing. I think, OK, even though that's just
1: one marriage,
8: mm-hmm. I start
1: thinking, well, that's that's what marriage is like. Well, that's a, that was an interesting benefit. I grew up – my parents divorced when I was eight. Mm-hmm. So I grew up kind of always assuming I didn't have a good example mm-hmm. even though I, th- I had good examples of parents. But I didn't have a good example of a relationship. So I was always looking – So I'd go to every friend's house and I'd watch their parents. I was like the creepy Townsend kid that (laughs) – why is he always watching us? But I I mean I gained a lot of information about different styles and I saw some parents touching a lot more and I could Mm -hmm. tell some never did. But it's – that's the deal. We have usually one role model if any. Right. Not 10. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like we need 10. Yeah.
8: Yeah. And that's – my, I know my advisor in graduate school um, was really big on what he called marriage mentors, which is kind of yeah. the same idea. He, I he, love he that had this idea. whole idea of, you know, we need to get a lot of mentors in our life, a lot of good marriages. And and we actually have done a couple of research projects with really low-income families um, that have no models yeah. at all. You know, yeah. their, their parents divorced or so were never married to begin with in, in most cases. And let's find some stable marriage People have been married for 40, 50 years, and let's just put them together with these young couples, young parents, and and let them
1: have that good example of you can make it. You can do this. I think that's really cool. And it almost seems like a role that like a church would play, Mm -hmm. kind of like a pastor and his wife could go be great mentors. You got to almost have a relationship. You almost can't. Bring in a social worker, right? And her husband. Like, Here we go. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? You need to
8: see real stories uh-huh. and, and real people that have struggled, that are open with their struggles. Uh-huh. To back to the conflict um, thing, it's 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 powerful to see a healthy, stable couple that's open with. We struggled, and we did fight, and we did have conflict,
1: but we got through it. That's really the the mentor idea. It's huge, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's something, too, that maybe I had a couple the other day that's about to get married, and they're like, what would you suggest? And right now I would suggest go find 10 couples. Right. Yeah. And just go start interviewing them. Yeah. Yeah, it's something I do in my class. Do I have you do them, that? Yeah,
8: interview someone who's been married at least 20 or 30 years and, and talk, have, talk to them. About the struggles and how they went through it and and try to open their eyes a little bit because, again, newlyweds, they get in this mindset of (laughs) as soon as we fight, the marriage is over. It's over. No, I remember that. My first fight, I'm like, so divorce
1: me. Yep. And my wife, her head spun around. True story. All the way around. And she talked like this. And she said, don't ever say that word again. Right.
0: Dunk. Okay. Good to know. Yeah,
1: and, there's, and then there's all this anxiety of yeah. you know how we can do this, and it's, it's a normal thing for newlyweds to it's figure that huge. out. Huge. We're talking with Dr. Brian Willoughby, professor in the School of Family Life at BYU. We're going to take a break, come back, and he's going to teach us what are some help more helpful ways that we could handle conflict. Man, folks, it's it's normal. You're normal if you have marital stress. Welcome to the club. But it doesn't have to destroy us all and our children and our grandchildren. We'll take a break. More when we come back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in the house, Dr. Brian Willoughby is joining us. He's an assistant professor at the School of Family Life here at BYU. He's also the director of the Relate Institute, which uh, you really need to go check out, relateinstitute.com. Tons of resources there, uh, assessments that you can take. Just if you want to work on your marriage, even the conflict stuff, it's a great, it would give some great insight. Yep. Yeah, we've got assessments to help people
8: with conflict communication. You can take it alone. You can take it with your partner. Give you some nice graphs. Can and you some, take it
1: for your partner?
8: You, well, you could. <laughs> it wouldn't help. I, I wouldn't suggest that. Yeah, because because part of the power of some of the assessments we have. Is you take it on your own, your partner takes it on your own, but then the graphs get combined together. together. and so it'll, you can see. You'll see your pattern. Yep. Here's what I think the relationship is like, and here's what my partner thinks. And that that's is so cool. Some of the most powerful moments is to th- you think everything in this area is going great. Yeah. And then you get your partner's stuff back, and
1: whoa, wait a minute. You have a <laughs> little different perspective on it. You're that. messed up. Um, so you, you taught us before the break that there's harmful ways to disagree cold shouldering, verbal, nonverbal anger, threats. You know, bringing up mother in a negative way. Right. Uh, there's also some beneficial ways to disagree. Teach us those because, again, some people think disagreement means disharmony. Right. And we're not meant for each other. Yeah. yeah. We're not soulmates.
8: Yeah, which isn't the case at all. As I always tell my students, there's there's a difference between... Conflict and conflict resolution, yeah. and every couple has conflict. It's about how you resolve the conflict that matters. That's huge. Um, I, I actually think one of the biggest things here. It seems like a really small thing, but I think it's huge. It's humor. Yeah. It's it's not. Because one of the things that happens when we have conflict and disagreements is, is a spouse is we get a lot of emotion, a lot yeah. of negative emotion, and we let it build. Uh-huh. And, and that's when all of the, the negative stuff tends to happen. And so if we can bring humor in – now, when I say humor, I don't mean like, like sarcastic, cynical, yeah, ugly, sarcastic dark. comments towards your spouse. <laughs> but just laughing about things mm-hmm. and, and, and keeping things light. That That's a huge thing, especially if kids are around and they're hearing us have a disagreement. If we kind of joke with each other, yeah, um, that's huge. Because, we do that.
1: Like, so yeah. do you hate me? I'll right. go say, I'll go ask my wife, so do you hate me now? And she's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's a joke and it breaks the ice. Right. And then you can kind of address, no, I'm just mad because you – Yeah. And it sends a really powerful message to kids that
8: we just disagreed and we had a little conflict, a little yeah. argument – but it's not a big deal at all. No one's We're still to die having fun here. Yeah.
1: Because kids might in- inherently go to divorce. If their right. friend's parents are divorcing, they might be thinking, oh, man, yeah. my parents are going to divorce. And the other
8: powerful message it sends is that we disagreed, but I still like you. Because yeah. if we have humor, there's this
1: uh, assumption that we still are playful and like it's each true. other.
8: That's a pretty powerful message. No, that's huge. Yeah. And
1: that could be humor. That could be even affection still turning to- towards each other, the turns and the bids towards each other. Right, yeah. Um, I think another really powerful thing in terms
8: of modeling things for kids is as parents, a lot of times, we're pretty good at coming up with systems for parenting. You know, yeah. your chore charts. Right. And we sit down as a family. We have a family meeting and say, okay, here's we, we want to work on bedtime or we want to work on cleaning your room. And, and we try to model, okay, here's ki- here, kids, here's how you do that. Yeah. We don't do that as much for marriage, even though a lot of us in our marriage sometimes right. will have little things. We'll sit down and say, we need to work on our relationship. Let's try this. Yeah. But our kids never know that it's happening. And it's okay to let them in on some of those things. Right. You don't have to let them in on, you know, hey, mom and I are having some disagreements about sexual frequency. Right. Well, I just want to let you guys know. <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up. Yeah, it's your mother. Um, yeah. But you know, let them know. I was actually thinking about this this morning. My wife and I one of the things that that we came up with a while ago is, you know what? Let's let's try to come up with one nice unexpected thing that we do for each other every day. Cool. Um, and we started doing that. And I was just thinking about because we've I was mentioning you before we've been on vacation. Yeah, I was like I should start doing that again today. Um, but that's a great thing to do. My kids know right that my wife and I are doing that. That I should let them know that, and yeah. it's not necessarily about a disagreement, but it helps them know that we're working on our relationship. Constantly. Or even
1: even just going on a walk, just. Mom and I are going to go, we've got to go talk something out on a walk. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Stephen Covey used to get on a little um, scooter, trail bike kind of thing. And he and his wife, his wife would get on back and they would go talk. Mm-hmm. So anytime they needed a talk, yeah. they're they're like, we're going on the trail bike. And everyone in the family kind of knew, okay.
8: Yeah. yeah. And again, that's great with Work topics that maybe you don't feel yeah. comfortable talking about in front of your kids. Again, just letting them yeah. know that, that – you know, hey, we're going to go discuss this, or we had a discussion, and it's cool. or we need to go on a walk. You know, That's whatever right. it is for you, it doesn't matter how you do it. But letting the kids know that there is a disagreement, stuff's happening. We talked about it, and
1: everything's fine. So cool. And when you can, just do it in front of them.
8: Yeah, exactly. And another thing I'll add to doing it in front of them. Another huge thing here is validation, mm. validating your partner, which basically means telling them that you value their opinion. That you care about what they think and how they're thinking and how they feel. Letting your kids see that. That even though you disagree about whatever it is, that you still value what That's they're
1: That's huge. Saying. That's a huge thing. Just because you can so inval- quickly invalidate by being negative or talking over them and right. that – after years of that, they may yeah. feel like there is no value. Right. And that in particular teaches kids another really
8: important thing that even transcends relationships, I think. It lets them show that you can still care about someone that you disagree with. Mm-hmm. There's, there's. I think, so many people in this world that feel like there's only two options. We either disagree and hate yeah. each other yeah. or we completely agree and we love each other. That's right. And it's, it's the world's not like that. Uh, the, one of the top marriage interaction scholars out there, John Gottman, has come up with this idea of unresolvable conflict. He said every couple has at least a few topics that that they will never agree on. That's right, ever. Different values, different beliefs, whatever it is, they'll never agree on. And and that's okay, he says. As long as we are willing to still validate and support and love each other, and I think it's powerful for kids to see that. And say, Absolutely. you know what? I completely disagree with you. Yeah. And I don't think I'm ever going to agree with you, but I value your your
1: opinion and I value yeah. you as a person and we can disagree and that's okay. I've seen people that that have that the the thing they're just going to disagree on but they have to kind of operationalize it and mm-hmm. decide. And they just say, "Okay, grab a quarter," and they'll just flip a coin. Today we're doing it, right? And tomorrow yeah. we're not. We're gonna let because we can't solve it any other way. But part of it is, I guess, teaching your kids this, huh? mm-hmm. having these conversations, and the tension in front of them, and then showing them resolution, and then showing them that you're back together, right. that you've yeah. survived, and nobody died.
8: Yeah, that the, that tension doesn't carry over. It's huge. That it's not an unresolved, long-term negative thing in yeah. this relationship or in this family that we
1: just move on. What would you say as we wrap it up, Bry? What's the what would be the number one thing when it comes to conflict um, that that we as parents might want to remember or that the kids need to learn
8: from uh, us? Right. I, I'm going to go back to the the and the, again this seems so counterintuitive. The yeah. number one thing is kids need to learn that conflict's okay. It's good. That we don't hide it. That's that's the, probably the biggest problem I see couples do is they try to hide their conflict. Yeah. They hide their disagreements. And then, like I said, kids either grow up on one side seeing their parents have oh, tension. Yeah, yeah. And that has that negative role model that we talked about. Or they grow up with this idea that marriages don't have conflict. At least the good yeah. marriages don't have conflict, and that's
1: uh, problematic. Don't hide the conflict. Mm-hmm. Keep it out there. And don't, don't talk to the kids about the parents, I'm assuming, right. too. Yep. Huge. Brian Willoughby, you did it again. Dr. Brian Willoughby from the the Relate Institute. Go to the go to relateinstitute.com. Tons of resources. He's writing articles, it seems like, every day. It's about every week. Almost. Almost every week. He's got a lot of writing to do this summer. Good work, Brian. Uh, we'll talk to you, I'm sure, soon. We just, whenever we're like, we're desperate, we call... We call Brian. (laughs) Brian's our, he's just the go-to man. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, talk to our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. little Bon Jovi. Who better to bring in the guys from BYU Sports Nation but Bon Jovi. Let's go down there. Jerem, are you there? Is Brian Logan with you today?
5: Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I'm here all week.
6: Brian. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of energy in that.
1: You know, it's weird because without the video feed, I can see you. And right then I thought Brian just shanked you with a knife or something. (laughs) The way you were screaming in pain.
5: No,
6: nope. Brian does get excited a lot. He's got this ton of energy. That's got to be fun. I don't carry knives, though.
1: That's good, though. You just use a pen, Brian. Um, <laughs> uh, it's. I bet you guys are getting used to it. You're now in sync. You've got this great, you know, relationship as a relationship expert. I'm, I'm proud of you two.
6: Yeah, we didn't need this week to have that, though. Brent no, I've worked with Brian since 2012. Yeah.
1: It just,
0: 2012?
6: just uh, the second year of independence, right?
1: As a professional, it just seems yeah, like your chemistry like is getting better, guys.
6: Yeah. Oh, we appreciate that.
1: I mean, I'm just noticing. Just more flow.
6: We may not call Spencer back. I don't know. Yeah. yeah we probably, we'll see, we'll we see probably, what happens he, next week. Let's just, we let's just see
1: if he shows. Maybe he won't <laughs> show. he comes back. <laughs> hey, I got some good news for you, Jerem. I thought for sure you, you'd love this. Uh, did you ever watch Night Rider?
6: I did not. I'm a little too young for Knight Rider.
1: Brian, did you? I'm
5: aware of what it is. And I Brian's don't even younger know what, I, am. I don't even know what, yeah, even know <laughs> what that is. Is that super let
1: me take you back to the eighties, Brian. Um, Knight Rider Hasselhoff, was Hasselhoff, right? Yeah, Hasselhoff. But Knight Rider, the, the car was named Kit. It was a car that was a, a car that talked. It was called Knight Rider, and it's now on auction. The final Kit Knight Rider car is being mm. auctioned off mm. uh, on June twenty sixth. It's a nineteen eighty two Pontiac uh, Am, Trans Am T top. And uh, it's got everything in it, the LED lights, the, the two display panels. The
6: cassette tape player.
1: The 8-track. The, the it's got it all.
6: <laughs> it's got it all, man.
1: Uh, $200,000 to $300,000 is what's, what this bad wow. boy is going to cost. So if you want it, Jerem, I'm willing to help put some money up.
6: I do, but I don't want it that bad.
1: I could see you driving that into the parking lot. Pulling. If it
6: was a transformer or
1: something. <laughs> see that's the, see, Doesn't
6: Mark Wade drive that?
1: Yeah, Mark. <laughs> of classic drive. He does. He drives. He the best ride in the park. Bar, he does. I know that. It's a lime green, I think, Ford Mustang, I think. Ooh.
6: I was wondering if that was a midlife crisis purchase because that car is awesome. What I know it is awesome. You know what?
1: I've actually just scheduled my midlife crisis, and apparently I'm going to be having it in the next few months. I'm buying a new car.
6: Oh, I thought you were going to say you're having a kidney stone. No, <laughs>
1: you, I did yesterday. You mentioned that yesterday. Yeah, cute chip. I mean,
5: you can do other things, right, when you are having a midlife crisis. Yeah. I'm having one right now. and I You're not like, even to the midlife feel, point, man. Yeah, You're I'm, your almost I'm almost there, man. Are you? 30. What, are you what? almost 30? I'm 27. What? Oh, you oh, are I know. That's like going to come in a blink of an eye.
1: Brian, I have kidney stones older than you.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I want to get a tattoo.
1: Oh, don't do it. I is that a
5: thing to say? You'll regret Working it. Working at BYU? Well, I can't get a tattoo. <laughs> You'll regret I it. I had to get a tattoo.
1: We'll you, chat later. If you are going to do it, I would like to pick out the tattoo.
5: I actually already have a tattoo. It's very small. What? So Does on it, on it say wrist. mom? It's hashtag BYUSN. It's. <laughs> 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 false. It's very small. It's so on my wrist. Uh, when I need to cover it up, I can, but I don't because. What is it's it? It's my wife's oh, cute. name. Oh, cute. And um, in the back. Oh, or in the, yeah, the back of my wrist, I guess, the other side of my wrist, it's. Um, our wedding date. So oh. I will never, ever forget our anniversary. It was more strategic. That's beautiful. Than, than, you know, like cute and lovey.
1: Yeah. That's you a know? great lesson for all men. There you Cause go. Cause that way it's permanent. And yeah. now here's the problem, right? You can never divorce.
5: Uh, that is Right. Um, yeah. Actually, you know what? It's 2015, so there's uh, tattoo removal,
1: no, uh, no, no, and technology. So I'm good. Marriages are forever, Brian. <laughs> it's risky. You gotta think of it that way. Hey guys, uh, the Warriors game. What'd you think? That was huge.
5: You're talking to a dude from the Bay Area.
1: Here, I know. Logan. I, was,
5: I was excited. Uh, you know, I was happy for Oakland. I was happy that it wasn't f- it wasn't the Raiders. Um, <laughs> you know, because I'm a Niners fan. Oh uh, yeah. Our producer's so, a huge Raiders fan. So really, issues after the show. Um, you know, I, it was kind of disappointing. It was kind of weird, I guess, uh, seeing all my friends back home on on social media and Instagram and Twitter. And the whole city was, like, on fire.
1: Yeah, they were you were depressed not to be ri- there?
5: They were, like, rioting and, like, on, on top of buses uh, and what stuff. What else going on? Yeah. Is Grandma Logan okay? <sighs> yep. Yep. My, well, Good. yeah, they're fine. I You know, we're, like, 20 minutes from Oakland. so Well, actually, my cousin Joe, he lives in Oakland, so I don't know how my aunt's house is. I think it's good, though.
6: Maybe she should call her this morning. Yes, yeah, she Is she?
1: I, when you said Grandma Logan, I'm thinking like she's out leading a riot or something?
6: She's <laughs> pretty active in the community. Okay. Nope, <laughs> she's dope. a community organizer. She lives like 20 minutes from Oakland, so she's, oh, that's she's cool, safe though. and sound. Good.
1: Yeah. And so what, what do you think about Iguodala winning the MVP? That's interesting.
5: Yeah. I Very thought, interesting. So there
6: were 11 votes, 7 for Andre Iguodala, who didn't start a single game in the regular season, yet won the NBA Finals yeah. MVP. First time that's ever happened four votes for LeBron James. LeBron James. So, so that was interesting. Yeah. I, no votes for Steph Curry. I thought he'd get at least one or two votes. Was it just
1: because he had a bad last game? I mean, what's, what, I why? I think
6: Iguodala changed the series. It was yeah. 2-1. Iguodala gets inserted to the starting lineup soon thereafter, and then all
5: of a sudden Golden State wins three in
6: a row. Yeah, there you go. So he was the difference maker. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
5: I, think that, I think it's the first time in a long time in, in, in just sports in general where politics weren't really played, and you really, yeah. you really had the true difference maker impact yeah. player. That's win cool. Winning an award and, and that's, defensively, cool. yeah.
6: the defense was rewarded. He did yeah. score twenty five points in this final game and had twenty something in another game. But mm. he played great defense on the best player in the world, oh. and that was acknowledged. Yeah, so that's nice. Yeah. It's for as much offense. Uh, as is acknowledged in a lot of sports right now, it's nice when defense absolutely wins the title because Golden State was the first, quote, jump shooting team to win a championship yeah. in yeah. a lot of people's minds. But they were the number one defensive team all year, and that's how they won.
1: Well, and what's so strange, such great defense, and yet um, LeBron still averaged 39 points or whatever.
6: <laughs> it was like 31 13 and 9. Oh, something my like heavens. that crazy. That no, that is crazy. If the game went, <laughs> that's cool. If the series went seven, and the Warriors barely won. There was a shot that LeBron wins the, yeah, wins the MVP. Yeah, but because yeah. he got four votes and they lost in six and got right. blown out in the last. Well, not blown out. It got closer, but well, that's it was cool.
1: close. That's good stuff. Hey, what's on your show today?
6: Today we're going to talk about uh, Nate Austin, BYU basketball player, has received a fifth-year medical uh, hardship waiver. He will play this fall for the Cougars. That's great. BYU's lineup will be uh, better in the front court. We'll tell you whether they'll be better offensively or defensively. Uh, also, Ashley Hatch, the women's soccer team, scored 18 goals last year. She'll join us. And then Jason Witt, who took third place nationally in the 10,000 meters, will hang out with us in studio.
1: What a show. Man, and Brian Logan packed. to boot. And Brian
5: Logan's here. Mm-hmm. It's a Logan takeover.
1: Mm-hmm, it's kind of
5: just like a normal thing, though, so I don't know. People, we shouldn't really get excited anymore. Yeah, it's now normal. Logan, Logan just, took it over. I'm just Yeah, I've taken it. I taking you done took
6: it? You done over.
1: took it over.
5: I done
6: took it. There's a, com- a TV commercial about this. If you haven't seen it, it's no. pretty funny.
1: About about Logan Tickle. Brian take? oh, uh-huh. really?
6: Yeah. Wow. I'll try and find a tweet. About you.
1: Yeah, that'd be fun. Hey guys, um, you're great. And you know, Spencer's I, I bet he'll come back.
5: We hope he comes back.
1: Yeah, I mean we need him.
5: Maybe just not to like the show, but I hope he does come back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, well, guys, have a great show.
6: Thanks, man. Remember who you you are.
1: Stay good. Hey, think about that, Brian. Think about your midlife crisis. Maybe it'd be better to just go buy a red sports car.
5: Uh, Well, you know what? (laughs) I was thinking about getting a tattoo of my newborn baby. Mm. Uh, We're going to find out the gender today.
6: Wait, your wife's pregnant?
5: Yeah. I literally didn't know that until this moment. Holy cow! That's great news. So, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about maybe getting uh, the baby's um, footprint.
1: You know what? I that's think that's rude, cute, or... except it—it it always looks cute now. But when you're about ninety, that baby's foot's going to look horrible. <laughs> it's it's going to be like a size thirteen. <laughs> a, a big saggy Sasquatch foot. <laughs> anyway, I guess it depends where you put it. Good luck, gentlemen. Have a great show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. That's great. That's the deal. I mean, if you're going to, boy, you got to make a big decision because this is for life. I think I think a Ferrari. If I were, if I had Brian Logan's money, I'd go buy a Ferrari. That's what I'd go do. Or just, I'd probably just buy a Honda. <laughs> it's really, it's got great resale. Hey, we always like to end the show um, talking about heroes, right? We we want you to see the good in the world. We also want you to know that there's some pretty powerful stuff going on with humans that uh, just everyday life, that they take it on in a, kind of an exceptional way. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about our hero, Yvonne Mosquera Schmidt. She's a 37-year-old. She's a vivacious 37-year-old who accomplished 14 marathons in her life, and she ran every one of them without sight. Ivana Mosquera Schmidt lost her eyesight due to retinal cancer when she was a child, and even at the young age, she decided that she wasn't going to let her loss of eyesight stop her from reaching her full potential. Mosquera Schmidt graduated from Stanford With an MBA, she's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, has ran 14 marathons, and is currently a member of the USA paratriathlon team. And in order to run, Yvonne needs a guide to run with her, and her closest guide happens to be her husband, John. How cool. They get a run together. Yvonne was diagnosed with a rare form of bladder cancer last year, but has since recovered and is back on track training for her next race, She stated to NBC News that even through the cancer last year, it was the one thing that kept my spirit alive. Yvonne has never let the challenges in her life stop her from living a full and meaningful life. Her goal now is to train and be able to run a 100-mile race. Man, why? That's crazy. That is cool. Yvonne wants to know uh, that uh, she can do that. She wants everyone to know that you can do that. There's nothing you cannot try. There's nothing you cannot do. You may have to try and find a different way to try it, but in the end, you can make it happen. It can be done. Powerful stuff. So, Yvonne Mosquera Schmidt, you are our hero of the day. Seriously. A hundred-mile run. It's a challenge. And what great advice, I think, for all of us. If, you know, try it. If it doesn't work, learn. learn. Adjust. Try it another way. Learn, adjust. Try it another way. Learn, adjust. Try it another way. Take your challenges on. They're yours. They're not going away, right? We all are going to have a different trial. And whatever it is, the loss of a child, uh, you know, something, major event, loss of a job, uh, uh, you know, an, an accident, anything can happen to us. But in the end, it's going to be how we decide to uh, step up and handle it. That's probably going to make the biggest difference in, in our lives and others. We've had a great show, my friends. Again, we love to to have you listening you can find us on, um, in a variety of ways, but really, we can't do the show without you. And we do sincerely want to make sure that uh, we're helping you find the best and seeing the good in the world. Please tweet us. We would love to hear from you at, at uh, Dr. Matt's show. Um, and come find us on uh, Facebook. You can find my Facebook page. Start following us there. Also, you can find us on iTunes or tune in, share the podcast, send them out to your friends, your neighbors, you name it. We appreciate you being with us. Again, we'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, take care and make it a great one.